Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to collinslaststand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 94. Ooh. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Raygun. Chris, how are you holding up today? Ah, same old, same old. Working on a lot of stuff right now. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to keep busy. Making some music, making some podcasts for the world. It's good. The world needs the podcast right now, yeah. I would say. Yeah, same, same old over here as well. Hanging out. I get up in the afternoon. <laughs> Can't sleep at night. So my ang- I have a really bad anxiety, as the audience knows, and... My psychiatrist, actually, Chris and I went to the same psychiatrist, which is funny, but he told <laughs> he, he told me that my anxiety cycle is actually really weird compared to most people's. Most people's anxiety gets worse as the day progresses that have anxiety. Yeah. My anxiety actually gets better the longer the day goes on, which mm. is why I think I stay up so late, because by the time the night rolls around, I'm like feeling pretty good. And so I'm like, well, I might as well, you know, that's when I get motivated to work and play games and read or whatever the case might be so yeah anyway I, I yeah i feel like i feel like i have the same something very similar yeah and i can't just i just feel like shit when i wake up in the morning or in the like early afternoon really yeah but i work from home and it doesn't really matter when i get up but i've been getting up i've been kind of trying to control the anxiety and then i go into the backyard and 
do some work or play Vita, just look at the woods, whatever. But there's really not much to do otherwise. I'm sick of looking at the news. I'm sick of all the drama. Yeah. I, uh, on social media. I took a walk just to get some air. And it's, uh, it's pretty wild just how everything, <laughs> just how, how it all looks. Everything feels so strange. Because, like, everybody's wearing a mask. And I, I didn't bring one because I was just, like, walking around the corner. And everybody just looks at you weird for not having a mask. And it's just like, oh, oh my goodness. This is so Twilight Zone-esque. It's insane. I don't have a mask either. I, I got to get one, I guess, online so that when I do go and emerge from this suburban community that I live in that people won't be mad at me because I heard that like some people are getting thrown out of grocery stores for not having masks and all that I mean I guess I kind of understand this I wouldn't want to be around anyone that was maskless myself so yeah yeah I I, I wear it when I go to like a if I have to go shop like I have to go to a grocery place or anything but it's just like it's just such a weird weird tone that exists in the outside world right now Bright side, though, it's been raining a lot in Los Angeles because the air is finally clean enough for that to happen. Oh, so uh, the air is like significantly like more breathable here than I remember it being. It's like so crisp outside always. And it's like, wow, it's amazing what, you know, mass death can do (laughs) to the air quality. Yeah, definitely. They say there's this theory about the Black Plague back in the... uh was it the Middle Ages? Like, I guess it's technically the Middle Ages. No, it's really not. I guess it's after the Middle Ages. But yeah, where they uh, they say that like that's where capitalism sprung up and people's quality of life actually increased after the Black Death because there was no one, no one to compete for farmland and these nice houses and capital markets and all those kinds of things. So I guess the, <laughs> I so guess morbid. the uh, I know it really is. So there's I guess this whole idea that the earth is going to kind of be able to breathe a little easier. I'm actually, it's funny you say that because I've been thinking about if like global warming or climate change, or whatever is going to be not stopped, but like if we, if we've gained some time because of the lack of CO2 being emitted into the earth, because people aren't flying and people aren't driving and stuff. And yeah, I don't know, I'd be interested to see what that's all about, but I'm no scientist. Yeah. So uh, yeah, my major thing right now is that I'm just tired of not smoking weed and uh, I haven't smoked all year and it's it's fine. But I, I, I that's the other thing I think harming my ability to sleep and stay asleep and stuff like that. So I really got to figure that out at some point. It's a little. It's, Do you take melatonin at all? No, I take CBD oil. Oh, uh, yeah. But I just don't feel like it. I mean, it, it relaxes me, but I just don't feel like it really does the trick. And it's so expensive that I feel like if I take as much as I feel like I need, then I'm just going to be going through it really quick. So. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What to, I don't know what to do. Melatonin's uh, pretty good, man, for, for sleep. I got to say that stuff uh, that was wild. Just knocks you out. And then you dream about being being a spider. Oh, it's wild. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I should look Maybe I should look into that. I don't know. I'm going to I'm I'm actually I, I miss the physical feeling of just smoking joints. Like I love smoking joints. Yeah. And as as you know, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and so you can buy CBD flour, which has no THC in it or very low THC. And I, I think I might just buy that just to just to smoke something, you know, and see what happens. Yeah. See what kind of crazy shit I get myself into. But I don't know, man. I, 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 I do. Miss, that's the only thing I miss about California. Otherwise, I really could give a fuck less that I'm out there. <laughs> All right. This is a PlayStation podcast. It goes live every single week. You can get it three days early and ad free. 
by supporting us on patreon.com slash Collins last stand. We had our best month ever last month, and we appreciate that very much. We know that times are trying right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We understand that not everyone can support us financially, but we appreciate you giving what you can. It helps us continue to do the show and you get lots of cool perks like early access, the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to the show and access to our weekly Patreon exclusive episode of Sacred Symbols called Sacred Symbols Plus. That's usually a 60, 90 or even 120 minute deep dive into something that we wanted to talk more thoroughly about, let's say. Uh, If you listen on free feeds, we'd appreciate if you left us nice reviews on iTunes, etc. And uh, last week's Sacred Symbols Plus episode was all about the dual sense controller. We're going to talk about it a little bit here as well because we haven't gotten a chance to talk about it on a normal episode of the show. But uh, there is an hour plus episode of Sacred Symbols Plus all about that. And I'm going to make that free for a few days for everybody once this goes live on free feeds. Mm-hmm. So you can just go to patreon.com slash Collins last stand and download that or listen to it at your leisure. I know that that's a pretty important topic that we need to discuss as a community And so I don't want to put that behind the paywall forever. So go check that out. If you are listening to this on free feeds, it should be live for a few days for you, regardless of if you support us or not. And finally, this week, I will sit down and do the Twin Breaker spoiler cast all about the story. Uh, Twin Breaker is our PS4 and Vita game. It is out now for $9.99 or your local equivalent cross by two platinum trophies, etc. We appreciate your support. So please go buy it and check that out. And speaking of DualSense, Chris, Mm -hmm. We keep getting we've talked about this a few weeks ago, but we keep getting outflanked based on our recording schedule by news. Uh, Some people think that this is a problem. Some people think that it's really not a problem. I don't know if we should change recording dates or not based on this. So I'm just going to put this once and for all into the audience's hands, just like we did for the drop when people were complaining about that. And then we realized like four out of five people that listen to the show actually love it. Uh, So what I'm going to do is when this podcast goes live on Patreon, I'm going to put a Patreon poll up that will be available to everybody, and even if you're not a supporter, and you could just vote. Should we keep recording on Monday and publishing on Tuesday, or should we record on, say, Thursday and publish on Friday and then do Sacred Symbols Plus early in the week? So I'm going to leave that up to you guys. Whatever your decision is will be what we do yeah. moving forward, and that'll be it. All right. Sick of worrying about it. <laughs> yeah, there's enough worry. All right, let's see here. We have quite a few things to get through before we get into the news. Yeah. Joseph Troxler just has a message for everyone. He says, Colin and Chris, thank you for all your hard work to entertain and keep us satisfied in these hard times. Driving to work each day, I listen to Sacred Symbols and Sacred Symbols Plus to bring me some sliver of joy and hope. These are difficult times indeed, and I want you to know that you two bring a certain joy that keeps me going, keeps the rest of us going and provides some reprieve for our or from our current situation. Keep up your hard work. Stay safe. And most importantly, Keep making Tuesdays great. Thank you, Joseph. We appreciate you. Yeah, man. We will do the very best we can. We know a lot of people out there are having a hard time. Unemployment's up. People are losing their jobs. We're really sorry to hear this. Hopefully things recover soon. It seems like maybe things are going to start getting better soon. I don't really know that for sure. I feel like I've been thinking that pretty regularly for about a month. <laughs> yeah, one can one can dream. Right, exactly. So, But we, we hope that that's actually the case. And Last week on Twitter, I think some people saw I gave 10 random fans uh, a video game of their choice just to kind of if they got uh, laid off from their job, just to kind of try to ease their lives a little bit for the time being just some small thing. And this week, I think I'm going to do a giveaway, but I think I'm going to do it with like books or something. So you can just go check that out on Twitter. I'll probably pick like 10 or 20 people to just buy you a, a novel or I don't know, something nonfiction book or whatever that will maybe keep your mind busy for a little while, get your mind off of things if you've lost your job. So 
keep an eye out for that. Guitar Raven 28 wrote in and said, hey, cock lovers, <laughs> cock is in chicken, mind you. Hey. Oh, in the last episode of the Sacred Symbols, you gentlemen confirmed that a chicken nugget is not a meatball. Indeed, this is the case. However, you two forgot to discuss popcorn chicken. Popcorn chicken is essentially a spherical chicken nugget. So I asked the question, is popcorn chicken a form of meatball? Thank you and good day. Mm, now you're stretching the spherical nature of a piece of a piece of popcorn chicken, I feel like. Yeah, I don't have popcorn so. chicken that often, but I feel like from, from what I remember, they're just kind of spastic chicken nuggets. Like, I don't I don't really think of them as chicken balls, you know? Yeah, I thought that they were more like small chicken tenders that, yeah. were, bre- that were also breaded. I thought that they were white meat. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I don't know that this is necessarily a popcorn chicken is necessarily a meatball. I guess theoretically, technically it is like I had meatballs yesterday. Now, a meatball is beef and or pork mm-hmm. in an Italian dish. But I don't know that I consider popcorn chicken a form of meatball. But yeah, no, this isn't this is I'm looking at pictures now. This is not a this is not a meatball. It's far too. There's far too much variety in the shapes. Like some of them have like, you know, some of them are tender shaped. Some of them. Some of them are a little bit spherical, but I think the main difference here, too, is a meatball typically is something that you either, meatballs are not finger foods, you know what I mean? Like, you don't really eat meatballs like you would popcorn chicken or chicken nuggets or or anything like that. Meatballs are like, they they go in a sandwich or they go in, uh, like, on a plate of spaghetti, a spaghetti, you know? Oh, a spaghetti. But yeah. they, they definitely don't. I think that's a key part of the definition that we didn't consider last time is that the fact that like if it's a meatball, it's by definition kind of not a finger food. Yeah. Like what is the de- did we look up like meatball? Oops. I just wrote that in the notes. Meatball <laughs> definition. A ball of ground or chopped meat, usually beef with added seasoning seasonings and then informal North American, a dull, stupid or foolish person. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know the singer Meatloaf? Yeah. That's his name. He chose that. Do you like Meatloaf? I saw him live, actually. <laughs> like, actually, I'm not even kidding. Like, uh, I think tw- in 2015, I saw him live for some inexplicable reason. I think he's fallen out of uh, some grace with people because he, I think he's like a hardcore conservative or something. Because I think he was actually, I mean, he was, he was on the celebrity apprentice i know that because i watched the show yeah and uh so i think he has some sort of relationship with trump which i think has kind of uh ruined him in some people's eyes but i always thought he was a talented musician but i actually did mean do you like meatloaf the food no oh really i love meatloaf no i uh, there's something about just a there's something about just a nebulous like conglomerate of meat that i don't know the origins of that's just like uh, I, I, I'm sure I've had meatloaf at certain points that I that I've liked and that I've thought was pretty good, but I've never thought like, oh, you know what I could go for right now, a loaf of meat. Like I usually think like, oh, I just want a burger or like a, a chicken sandwich or something like very specific. Yeah, I can understand that. Meatloaf sandwiches are pretty good. Yeah, but yeah, I guess it's an acquired taste. I happen to have quite an affinity for meatloaf. It's kind of like a giant meatball. <laughs> and you put ketchup on it it's pretty good yeah i wouldn't say no to a meat- meatloaf if it was offered to me oh okay I'll put it that way know. that's good to know all right adam barnes wrote into us on patreon and says what's up boys just wanted to correct the gross injustice that was done to my beloved game of aussie rules footy 
AFL stands for Australian Football League. It isn't Rugby Union or Rugby League. It is the greatest game ever played, and I advise you both to sleep with one eye open for a while until I calm down. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be able to get to the United States, to be perfectly honest with you, but yeah. we're closed down for business right now, Adam. Now, this game actually cropped back up in the drop again. I think it might have been delayed by a week or something. I don't know, but I got to be honest with you, and I don't know if I corresponded with you privately about this, Adam. I corresponded with someone about this. I don't know what the fuck the difference between any of that stuff is. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I do, I'm a huge sports fan, and I don't know the difference between Australian football, rugby, <laughs> union. I don't know. I don't know Wouldn't it be wild if I knew? Somehow, I wouldn't be wild. Inexplicably, this is like the only sports knowledge I had. Distinguishing be between American, fo- uh, Australian football and rugby union. Rugby union. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, rugby always looked like an interesting game to me, but I, I guess I'm confusing that with something else. Or maybe, I don't know, the other way around. I always thought rugby was just football without the pads. It was just like violent, like like Spartan football. It's kind of the way I interpreted it as well. But it, it's apparently safer to play because without the ironic thing they say about head injuries and whatnot in the NFL is that because they're so heavily padded and they have these helmets, they like just treat their bodies like torpedoes. And you don't you have some some level of preservation, self-preservation when you play without pads. So, oh, huh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it makes some level of sense that you would then have to uh, not get injured as much, not lead with your head and all of that. But nonetheless, I'm sorry if I offended anyone. Jared Kellogg wrote in. Now, we got a lot of these comments, both on Patreon and on Twitter, etc., so CNC, and I totally fundamentally disagree with this, but I'll see what Chris thinks. Mm-hmm. CNC just wanted to offer a quick connection to Larry's question last week in regards to the Xbox One versus PS4 Metacritic score differences. So for, to remind people, we were talking about how, or I guess Larry wrote in saying Xbox One games are scoring better than PS4 games, the same games on Metacritic. You're missing a very key detail, the amount of reviews that are counted on each platform's page for any given game. PS4 is the primary platform games are reviewed on, so you see a much larger volume of reviews on Metacritic for that version. Usually there are upwards of 80 reviews on PS4 versus 20 to 40 on PC or Xbox. More reviews means a larger volume of scores, so the average goes down. Just figured I'd mention it as you're using Metacritic, a tool I think people take far too seriously. You should always pay attention to the amount of reviews being aggregated in comparison to other consoles. Hope everyone is staying safe in these demoralizing times. And thanks for always for the wonderful, eloquent and soothing podcast. You truly give me hope and motivation every week with your insightful words. Thank you, Jared. Now, I totally I'm not a mathematician, so I don't know about how this works into the law of averages and stuff, but that makes no sense to me. Why would the score of a game be lower if there are more reviews? If you have 10 reviews and 20 reviews, why would the average be lower when you had 20 reviews? Wouldn't it just as be likely that the average would be higher? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't the, really yeah, no, understand no, no. this argument. A lot of people have made this argument, but I don't get it. You're right. No, the 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 likelihood of either or would be would be also plausible. Like if it's just as likely to be lower, then it's just as likely to be higher. If that was the only factor, I do think that I don't, I don't know it, that could play a role. But I I honestly think when if you're talking about just like a difference in the amount of review scores, you're talking maybe like a one or two point, maybe three point maximum margin of error. I I would feel. Like, like, I'm not basing that off of anything. It's just like my guesstimation. So like a, a seven point lead in a lot of these things is like a little bit weird. I, yeah, I don't know about this. I don't know about this one. It might be one of those things like someone brought up on knockback, some really interesting mathematical quandary or whatever it, it, about how if you have 30 people or something like that, the likelihood of two people sharing the same birthday is like 50 percent or something like that, which makes no sense. But apparently it's true. 
And huh. I, now I don't I don't presume to understand that stuff. And this might be a a similar thing, but I just don't understand why if you have more reviews, the average will necessarily go down. It just like Chris said, seems just as likely that the average would stay the same or go up. It's just it's just a total mishmash. I don't. In other words, why why would the score be lower if you have twenty reviews than ten? Yeah. Why? Why, why couldn't the extra ten reviews all be higher? Yeah. I, yeah. No, I I agree. I, I think it's a little weird. I do agree that Metacritic is taken far too seriously. That that is one thing I I do like. I, I don't like the over reliance on Metacritic. I don't like that people's bonuses are dependent on it. I think that's a little. I I, I don't know. It's it's just weird to me. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I don't like it either. I think that the only thing that could explain this away is that, and I think people know this on Metacritic, there is an algorithm that is actually unknown to the public. No one actually knows how it works, where sites like IGN and GameSpot and Kotaku actually, not Kotaku because they don't score, but they get a higher weight in the average than smaller sites. So IGN's review counts sometimes like three times more than a smaller site score. And people have tried to reverse engineer this, but I don't think anyone's actually been able to do it. So it could be that the games being reviewed on PS4 as the first SKU are higher weighted and more difficult scoring websites. But that would require like so Eurogamer, for instance, which notoriously gives really bad scores to games like it's really high to get anything more than like a seven or an eight there. That might have something to do with it. But I don't think that the number of reviews has anything to do with it. It makes it literally makes no sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's a weird one. So. The birth, it's called the birthday problem, by the way. And it says, if you have 70 people, 70 randomly selected people, there is a 99.9% probability that two people will share the same birthday. And with 23 people, the probability is 50%. Now, I don't have any idea why that is, but apparently it's a real, it's a real thing. So just throwing that out there. All right, let's see here. What else do we have? Johnny Rosado wrote in and said, Dear Colin and Chris, can you let the fans know what's happening with the Twin Breaker themes and avatars? Barry explained to me what happened on the CLS Patreon, but I feel this matter deserves more clarity. Yeah, so Twin Breaker, again, is our PS4 and Vita game. We actually submitted both PS4 and Vita themes and then PS4 avatars for the game, and we were going to make them available for free. We had no problem doing that. We wanted to do it to promote the game. So what ended up happening to Johnny's point here, and I guess Barry has illuminated this rather for people, is we they won't put them up for us. And I guess you have to submit them with your game and then they all have to be published at the same time or something. It's like some weird Sony shit that I don't understand. So the short answer and really the only necessary answer is that I, have, I don't think it's they're going to publish. I don't think they're going to happen. That really so, sucks. Yeah, it sucks because like we put some work into it. We were going to we weren't even selling them. So. It doesn't matter to us, but Barry did spend time like filling out all this paperwork and doing all this shit, and then they just never showed up. And the good news is that our Vita game is the Vita version is finally showing up on the store. You had to like literally search for it to find it. So that was also a fun little ad addition for us to worry about. <laughs> uh, Anthony J. Sanchez wrote into us and said, "Hey CNC, if things clear up with coronavirus, are you guys planning on doing anything special for episode 100?" I don't know, Chris. We have uh, five more episodes before 100. I don't know. Should we do something? I don't know. Special for it? If we're lucky, that'll be the the one where the big blowout news happens. That, that, doesn't, even nice. seem, that doesn't even seem really implausible. No. No, it doesn't. I think, uh, let's see. This will go live on the 14th, 21st. Uh, that's 96. Yeah, the, it'll go live May 26th. 
So yeah, it is possible that episode 100 coincides with something with the PS5, which would be really nice. But um, we'll figure out something. I'm sure we'll do something for it, but yeah, I have to think about it. We have a little bit more time. Nikolai Casio wrote in and said, hey, Colin, I hope you are feeling better or feel better soon. I'm graduating into a rough economy full of hiring freezes, so I'm pretty I'm feeling pretty down too. I imagine so. Thank you guys for keeping me entertained during all this. My question is, do you think you get, do you guys think Sony will ever allow PS Now subscribers to download games? like Game Pass, or does Sony insist that streaming is the way to go, even for people in the Midwest? Nikolai, you can already download. Yeah, well, you can, all, you can download PS4 games. Right, right exactly. You can't, you can't download PS3 games. You have to stream those. Maybe that'll be ameliorated on PS5. We don't know. But the good news, Nikolai, is that you can download PS4 games to play without having to stream them through PS Now. And PS Now is getting better and better, and I think a lot of people are coming to terms with that. I still haven't really fully come to terms with that. Yeah, so Nikolai... Go download your PS4 games through PS Now and, and treat yourself. Treat yourself well. Yeah. Brian Borlaug wrote in and said, hey, guys, why do people keep asking to be given free games and other shit during this pandemic time at home? While I agree that some better sales would be nice, it's not like we all don't have ridiculous backlogs that we can dive into at this time. I imagine that sales are planned months in advance and it's hard to pivot, let alone Sony being able to do it. But should we really expect companies to give us free or extra things because of what's happening in the world around us? With most companies losing money right now, I can't fault them for doing so, for not doing so. Uh, stay safe and healthy, everyone. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you generally, Brian. The backlog, I mean, I often would kid around. We actually ended up getting this year. Exactly what I used to kid around about, which was a year with no games. That way we can all catch up on our backlogs. But you're right about sales. I actually learned from Barry, who's the guy who made our game, Twin Breaker, that like he can't even get them to put our games on sale. Like we don't even know. We, we're not going to put Twin Breaker on sale, but his other games. I thought that that was interesting because like we he wants to put his games on sale and we don't even really know how to go <laughs> how to go about doing it. So it is something that's planned far in advance. I certainly don't understand what the fuck's going on, but yeah. I think it's I think what is required or I don't think it's required, but people like me or Chris can do it if you ever if you ever wanted to. But like business is good. I you know I'm, I have some means or whatever, and a lot of people out there are struggling. That's why I went on there and tried to give people games for free. So they got games for free just from a person who bought them. And so maybe that's the answer. Like maybe we should try to be a little more philanthropic and whatnot uh, with each other. I know that when I gave away the games for free, I I did feel like it was somewhat of a meaningless gesture because I know people need more than that. But my whole idea was like, well, don't you need a distraction as well? Don't you need something to to occupy yourself right now if you've lost your job and are worried about this, that and the other things? So I think we all have to contribute the, the best way we can. But if you if you're a person of means, maybe consider giving a game away to a person online or consider donating to a good cause or whatever. I think that that's what's going to keep everything kind of buzzing because it is true. We have 13 percent unemployment, but uh, and it's going to go up. But we also that means have 83 percent that are still employed and maybe we can help those less fortunate. So maybe that'll be the solution to Brian's conundrum. And finally, before we get into what we're playing, Kate O'Brien wrote in and said, hello, gentlemen, Colin. You're always discussing how games are cheaper than ever with the move towards subscription services like Games Pass. How are devs going to get paid or receive proper funding? It's similar to how we see artists on Spotify making little to no money for streams. This is actually going to be a problem. Chris, you have a I I was wondering if you had a little more insight into this because Mm -hmm. you have friends that are musicians. I mean, I do, too. But do you know how they deal with Spotify and and streams and how much money they make off of that? Well, I mean, it depends on the person, but pe- people, let's rest assured, people are making a lot of money on Spotify. 
<laughs> I I just recently checked because I have songs on Spotify and I, I didn't even know how to get paid from that shit until like I think a week ago and I've had these this music on for like a long time and I had made like a like a pretty good chunk of change without even realizing it without really doing much of anything aside from just like making a song in like a day and putting it on a site so like bands are I'm sure are doing fine and like popular artists are, are sure I'm sure are doing fine or even anybody with like a modicum of you know social capital is probably doing pretty good uh and you know people still support musicians like every every day I get like some email or a couple of emails from people who like hey I downloaded bought your song on Bandcamp for like five dollars and it's like okay cool I don't really know how this translates to the gaming industry though it's it's so it's very difficult for me to even fathom how subscription services make money but they evidently do because they push it like crazy and they just continue to support it and people seem to want to be on it it's it's strange like it seems entirely impossible to me <laughs> but it it just is yeah there's a i was just typing around for it looking for it i should have brought it up but if i can find it i will tweet it out a month or so ago there was an article on a big website talking with developers about how this is this is actually increasingly going to become a problem because everyone's competing for these publishing dollars or like epic exclusivity dollars or whatever or game pass guaranteed funds and playstation plus which is a much smaller thing ps now and eventually these these services are going to be so satiated that there's going to inevitably be a race to the bottom just like there was on ios just for different reasons Mm -hmm. and so i don't know how this is going to work out it's not probably going to be good for lower tier developers it's going to be harder than ever to get noticed there's going to be fewer funds to go around and then the only thing that i think might like we we talked a few weeks ago about how avalanche is splitting up into three teams and one of those teams is going to like the guys that did generation zero are going to satiate this like middle ground area and i think that double a gaming or a gaming might come back in this environment because there's going to still be your triple a games that get 150 million dollars in budgets and five years to make and then there is going to be less room on the bottom for people to take risks and leave studios to make their own games and all of that, which we saw a lot of 10, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4 years ago. So I think that the good news is that maybe we'll get more A and AA games, which is what I kind of miss. I like those kinds of games. And some, and we have to remember that some series actually started in that space and then started to kind of creep into AAA. Like I, w- I always looked at like Darksiders as like an A game or a double A game, right? And yeah. they kind of slowly climb. Saints Row, actually, even in a way. We talked about Saints Row last week. So I don't know. It's an interesting question to consider, Cade, but one we will pay attention to. But as Chris said, uh, he's made some nice money streaming and selling his music. By the way, you put up a new song. You sounded just like Billy Joe Armstrong. <laughs> yeah. And you singing. I, I don't mean that as an insult. I love Green Day. <laughs> but um, I can't. It's just it's it's a problem. It's like it's just my voice at this point. It reminds me a little bit of um, there was uh, let me look this up. Actually, there was a well, everyone knows Incubus and Brandon Boyd. Yeah. Or whatever. And then he his brother actually made a band. What is it called? Um, Do I have it? Hold on a second. People have to go listen to this because it's so funny. Oh, audio vent. 
They only had one record in like the early 2000s, and it sounds just like like an Incubus cover band, basically. <laughs> That's kind of funny. But that was when labels were throwing around a lot of money Yeah, uh, back in the day. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well... Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Chris, let's get into what we're playing. I will kick it over to you. We're both playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'm really curious to know what you think about this game. I've been too lazy to get out of bed. Too lazy even, in fact, to sit up to look at my television. So I've been actually streaming Final Fantasy VII to my iPad and just playing it with a DualShock uh, on my iPad. And it works totally fine, by the way, which is wild. But the game itself is, is strange. I like it sometimes like I like fighting I like the combat I like the the visual style the music is amazing but the music's always been probably the strongest point of Final Fantasy 7 anyway I I I'm not too far in right now I've just kind of opened up the the town area where I'm like I'm starting to get like these quests which I'm I'm told is where all the the busy work happens but so far I I like it it hasn't turned me into a Final Fantasy fanatic or anything, but uh, I think I I get it a little more than I did prior, I think. What do you think of the... So you're in like chapter three, right? Yeah. That's when the town opens. So I'm in chapter five, so I'm not much further than you, but I've been distracted by Killzone Mercenary, which we'll talk about more, which is a weird thing to be distracted by. But what do you think of the characters and like the way that they're represented? I know you have a little bit of experience with Final Fantasy VII, so what do you think of Cloud and Barrett and... Tifa saw, met a little bit of Aerith, or Aerith so far. What do you think? I like the characters so far. I think the, the weakest part of the, the story and the presentation to me are the pretty much every character that, that isn't a main character. Like any NPC that you have to interact with is, is always like kind of... There's like really hokey delivery, and it's like really kind of jarringly... It's jarringly inexpensive sounding. <laughs> like every NPC that you hear and like I had to turn off that option that like has subtitles for every single thing that you hear in the town because it was just like a, 
a constant Twitter feed update of subtitles of all these NPCs talking, and it's all like really poorly delivered. And it's like, oh my god. But I like I like Cloud. I like uh, Jesse. I like Barrett. I, Wedge's voice is is a little, is kind of off putting because I feel like I know people who sound like that. I thought is is it is Wedge the guy from Breaking Bad? I that's know? what I I think it is because I swear yeah, that like, that sounds, sounds like him. him. Yeah, but uh, I agree. I like all the main the main characters. I don't remember Cloud being this much of a anime, just sort of uh, stoic badass kind of person. Like I didn't really get that vibe from from the original Final Fantasy VII, or at least maybe I just wasn't paying that much attention. But uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, he's he is. An, it is an interesting portrayal of Cloud, especially. You know, I gotta say, man, I talked a little bit about this on Twitter, but I am way impressed with this game. And I'm again only about seven hours in. Started playing it when it came out that midnight, I guess Thursday into Friday. Just been busy with some other stuff, some work stuff, and playing some other games. But it is. It's almost like I don't want to play it too fast. I have to say, like. Every once in a while, you learn or I learn a lesson in this industry that you're just totally wrong from the get go about something. And I thought that this was an ill conceived idea. I thought splitting the game up into multiple parts was really dumb. I thought giving CyberConnect originally the right to make this game was weird, although they ameliorated that and they fixed that problem later by bringing it in house. I didn't think that they were ever going to release it. I thought it was going to be a disaster. And then slowly, when I probably last year, when we started seeing gameplay and seeing it, I started really coming around. And I got to say, I've never been more wrong about a game. I don't think ever. Really? Yeah. I think that this calling this a remake is interesting because it's really a complete retelling of the of the story. Like what's exciting for me, I know Final Fantasy VII intimately. I've played it multiple times. I have the platinum trophy in the original. I just played it in 2017 for the last time. We did a big knockback episode about it with my brother. So it's a game I know really I'm really familiar with. And it's the reason I bought a PS1 in 1997. It's the reason I sold my SNES games and made all those mistakes. And I was I loved this game. And it is a totally different story. It's just a totally like I don't know what's actually going to happen next because none of it is really following much more than a very loose roadmap yeah. from the original game like it, it, I'm actually amazed by how much they've extracted out of the game and it's cool that they got the original writer back to kind of flesh it all out and, and I guess put some more vision into it and we get to you know I personally like Wedge Biggs and Jesse I think that they're mm-hmm, yeah it's it's they're interesting and yeah they're it's very Japanese and it I think it doesn't translate very well all the time but I am pretty blown away by this game. I got to gush about it a little bit. I just think that it's really fun. I think that it's beautiful. I, I think, like you said, the music is staggering. The, I love the combat. I think the action menu based combat hybrid is really cool. Yeah. The enemy designs are cool. I, I don't know, man. I love it. That's definitely my favorite. My favorite thing. Like, I didn't think I would like the at first. I thought it was like really irritating that like, oh, my God, I have a potion, but I can't use it because I have to build up this stupid ATB thing. Why? Why? But like, it's really cool because it, it 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 makes you kind of work for your get out of jail free cards. Like it, before, it was just like, oh, you could just use this. But now you actually have to work to use it, even though it really doesn't make any sense in the context of like a real kind of like it wouldn't make sense in an action game. But uh, it adds something. It adds some tension to fighting to know that you can't just 
pop one of your thousand potions at any moment and just sort of wreck wreck the boss. That's something I really appreciated. I, I like I like it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, there are some parts that still kind of bother me, but it's it's things that bother me about like every game that that does these things, and it's like there there are some segments where you're arbitrarily slowed down so that exposition can be delivered to you and you don't load the next section of the map too fast and it's just like, why am I so slow for no reason? What the fuck is this? It bothers me in everything and it just doesn't seem to be going away. The same thing happened in Resident Evil 3. Like, I remember there was a, a sequence where, like, I was being chased by Nemesis and, like, I shut the door and then I immediately start walking slow so I can tell Carlos, someone's trying to kill me! And it's like, <laughs> well, well, run! I'm, tr- I'm trying to run. I'm trying to be immersed here. But aside from, like, really minor nitpicks... Uh, there's not really much wrong with the game as far as I can say. I, I know that like where I'm at is where supposedly the busy work starts, but I don't know if I'm going to mind that too much because I'm kind of expecting it. And sometimes like, I don't know if you got this glitch, but, uh, when you go to your apartments for the first time at, uh, what is it called? The apartment complex? That oh, you stay I don't, in? I, yeah, I don't remember. It's like a motel. Yeah. Little, yeah. When motel, you get to the motel yeah. and you're, you, you go to your room, the door is like, a PS1 texture or something like I don't, <laughs> it was really jarring because like the rest of the game is like really beautiful. So I was like, oh, <laughs> that's weird. There's some texture issues, but I know that that's because I think uh, they made this game in Unreal Engine, which is not something they normally do. Uh, they normally build it with their own, you know, in-house tech. Yeah, but it looks I don't know, man. I, I like it a lot more than I thought I would. I'm excited to get back into playing it, uh, which I I can't remember the last time I've ever felt that about a JRPG. I don't know if this, is it a JRPG. Would you call this a JRPG? No, I mean it's. I'm going to count it as one because it's based on one and it's made internally by a JRPG team and all of this. But yeah, I think it's more of an action role playing game, mm-hmm. and it is made on Unreal Engine Four, which was which I, Unreal Engine actually three was a pretty popular JRPG engine for a little while. But yeah, it's. It is interesting. I I do think that having Kazushige Nojima back is right to write the game just gives it a lot of love and flair. They've really made Midgar pop. It's amazing how alive it feels. Yeah. Like it feels like a real city. You see the plate above and the blue sky is kind of off of the plate and you realize you're kind of the sun's getting narrow. Like this is all stuff that was explained in the game and you did see in the 1997 original, but just not to this extent. It's really quite remarkable. Like I, I, I don't know. This really... This might be my favorite game that I've played in a really long time. It's it, I don't know if it's just scratching this nostalgia in me, which I'm always a sucker for. Everyone knows that. But I think that there's just something pretty, pretty remarkable about about what they've accomplished here. And it makes me I now I know that I've not seen it all. I'm maybe less than a third of the way through the game. And I know some people have a problem with the way it ends. I don't know how it ends. We're obviously not going to spoil that here. And I, I'm most eager to see like how many sp- parts they split it in. And they it's cool that they mention things that, you know, don't happen in the game, but that do happen in Final Fantasy seven that are later on. They they mention towns and um, like Wutai and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's cool that we like are like, oh, we kind of know that this is going to happen. It makes you excited to see Yuffie and Vincent and later on Sid and whatever the case might be. Yeah. I, it, it's it's pretty cool. I'm really I'm impressed and I'm excited about it. And it's one of those games that I'm really trying to savor as opposed to rush through it. Yeah. I like too that it is that, that it isn't the same exact story. 
Because it actually kind of gives you, like, that kind of gives you a good reason to actually play the original as opposed to, like, this acting like a stand-in like a stand or, like, a replacement. It's, it's pretty cool. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, man. It's, it's great. And it's, it is. It's totally remixed. Like, I, I just, I guess I wasn't paying attention to the story and the trailers at all, which I'm really happy about now. And we had mentioned that they do spoil something. Like, people were just random, rampantly spoiling something about Red 13, which really annoyed me. And I just stopped kind of paying attention to stuff at that point entirely but it really is like a new story i i I do think that the one suggestion i made which was for people to play final fantasy 7 the original before playing this actually holds truer than ever because you can't possibly appreciate how different and good and unique this is without knowing what the original was and what they tried to do with that and how they have better realized it here and so that's the one thing I think I was totally right about. And I know that a lot of people took that advice, but I know that a lot of people also didn't. And that's too bad because I don't think you can go in the reverse direction and get the same experience. I think you have to go in one direction to get the the really interesting experience mm-hmm. of whatever Final Fantasy seven was in 97 and then what it is in 2020. So let's get into some of these uh, questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from the audience about the game. Adam Laws wrote in said, hello, Colin and Chris. I hope you are both doing well. How are you all liking Final Fantasy VII Remake? I'm surprised how well Square pulled off the remake so far, especially how bleak they made Midgar feel. When you first arrive in the slums and see the large lights illuminating the slums, you feel the weight of poverty and oppression. I love the original, but uh, through hardware limitations, Final Fantasy VII was hindered in the visual storytelling. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What do you think about the uh, visual acuity of the game in terms of its... I really think it really does a nice job of showing the haves and have-nots and real urban living... Mm-hmm. And I, I absolutely love it. What do you think about that particular aspect? Yeah, no, it's gorgeous. I, I, I think it's the art design is like really, really stellar, especially just like the world design and like the 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 way things are kind of lit and, and even just like the, the person. It's weird because everything feels everything looks real. Like there's like a realistic texture to everything and it, it, things look like they could be real, but everything's like vaguely stylized, like Seventh Heaven looks like distinctly like a place that you would see in like a cartoon kind of but it looks real and that kind of gives it this uh it's almost like the the it's almost like the uncanny valley but in the opposite way where it's like oh this looks really fantastical and very like whimsical i like it as opposed to looking kind of off-putting and dissettling i really like the way it looks i really like the world design but when you're first trying to escape after dealing with the Mako reactor and you just see like these like really kind of like lavish streets and even even those are like <laughs> full of fire and brimstone and shit. It's really cool. I, I really like it. Yeah. One thing I really that sticks out to me that I really like a lot in it is that it's this like modern postmodern society. And the one thing that sticks out is that they all have these like old 50 style cars, which is just a really cool. Yeah, I was just thinking. <laughs> of, yeah, I was thinking about those, too. I was like, I was about to bring those up. Yeah, it's a clashing of images, which I think is really neat. And there's a point in the game you haven't gotten to yet. I won't spoil it. But when you go into a like an actual like middle class or upper middle class neighborhood in the game and it's cool to see how how different it is. And I don't want to say it reminds me of New York because I don't think it, it, it does totally. But it just it's Midgar seemed much more one note in Final Fantasy seven that it actually probably was intended. And I think that they were actually able to fix that here with the plate and with the way people live that work for Shinra and all of that. Yeah. So really, really beautiful game and certainly sticks out in terms of uh, its visual storytelling. 
Mm-hmm. Leon Woodmass wrote in and said, hi, Colin, I am returning patron after a year of freeloading. Welcome back. Thank you. Square and their inability to launch games in a timely fashion and let projects spiral out of control has been the focus of your ire before. Are you impressed that what seems like an odd design choice to split up Final Fantasy VII has turned out to not be just a good production choice, but a design masterstroke? Yes, I have to say, and it's what I said earlier, Chris. This was the only this really was the only way to do it with with their vision, because otherwise they would have had to make a 150 hour game of this quality that would have cost four hundred million dollars or something like that and never come out. So again, I'm I'm interested in how many parts they split it into. I think it's going to be three Mm -hmm. and how quickly they can get them out. But are you interested in how they are doing this? Because I feel like this can open up if they deliver quality and they do it timely in a timely fashion. Let's say we get Final Fantasy seven part two in this time in 2022 or maybe even fall 2021, which would be awesome. I I suppose this is going to open up other publishers and developers eyes to the possibility of remaking big old games over multiple parts, because the reality is it's going to cost us one hundred and eighty or two hundred dollars to play the entire saga. Yeah, which is which is good for them, I think, because once you're in. You're not probably I I doubt someone's going to play this and not want to play the second and third parts. But what do you think about all that? Yeah, I don't know. I I would still ultimately like in a perfect world, I would prefer to have a complete Final Fantasy seven. But I obviously like the economic reality makes it so like this. This this does make a lot of sense to me, like the way they they the way they chose to do it, especially knowing that they've basically taken Midgar and made it its own game, which I know it really wasn't that big of a part of the original in comparison so yeah i mean i i I want the full game now i I would prefer to be just playing the full game but i'm all right with the structure as long as the quality remains uh intact throughout these entries which is like the biggest like if especially now the one thing i i get a little bit annoyed by is just sephiroth's rampant inclusion in this yeah. game because you don't really meet him until later in, in Final Fantasy 7 in, in a big way and I just feel like they felt like they had to wedge him in a little bit more pardon the pun and his relationship obviously with Cloud is relevant in the original game too but you just don't learn about it so soon so that's the one thing where I feel like they it would have been much cooler to never see him in this and kind of wonder when he was going to come in and how it was all going to work or see him at the very end kind of like Luke Skywalker in episode 7 where you see him at like yeah. the very end of the movie and there's really no exposition or anything like that. I think that would have been more neat because Sephiroth, I think for all of Final Fantasy VII's charm, I think Sephiroth's a pretty overrated villain. Even in Final Fantasy terms, I think Kefka, for instance, is a much more compelling villain. Oh, from six? Than, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he's, you know, a fucking crazy ass court jester who, jester who kills his own emperor and shit. It's much more interesting than Sephiroth, but they, they just kind of force him in. And it, that is a little jarring, I think in this game but maybe yeah. it all makes sense as now, i continue to sephiroth, play sephiroth bothers me uh specifically just because he's included in like very stereotypical flashback sequences that like feel like they feel like an american action movie in like 2005 like is the way that you would see this and it just feels like a little bit weird and especially just like he looks like i don't know if this is just me but like when i look at sephiroth in this game he looks he looks like a kingdom hearts character compared to everybody else <laughs> yeah he does that's a good point is, am I the only one? Like, it feels weird to see him compared to every because everybody else feels like they have these like really updated character models and like he just looks. I mean, he definitely looks better and he looks like in keeping with like what the what the game's trying to do. But there's something about his like visual design or just like the 
the way he appears, it's just very, very Kingdom Hearts, and it just reminded me of Kingdom Hearts, and it's like, I don't want to think about Kingdom Hearts when I'm No, none of us do. Yeah, never, actually. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're right, though, Chris, in the sense that I actually think, I mean, this is going to sound crazy to people, but I was actually always of the mind that Sephiroth's design was never really that compelling to begin with. He had the big Masamune like katana and his long white hair and the black robe or whatever and that's cool but he's it just doesn't a guy. make yeah it just doesn't really i don't know what they were gonna do with him to make him much more interesting he's not he's kind of a grounded villain in a way and his whole his whole goal in the original final fantasy 7 is is actually pretty interesting but and he's not even really ultimately the real bad guy in the original Final Fantasy VII, and you learn about that, and the game's 23 years old, so I'm not really, I don't really feel bad about spoiling it that at this point, but I do think that I'll be interested to see, since they've included him so much already in the first five chapters of the game, how much more he'll play into this, and then how they'll work him in, and maybe they're gonna, I don't, I don't know. I, the one thing I know about this is that, and I've read this, is that people are not, some people are not happy with the way this ends, but this one, this like first part, but I'll be the judge of that when I get there. Justin Relation wrote in and said, with Square Enix continually referring to Final Fantasy VII Remake as episodic, clearly, it clearly is episodic. What are your chance? What are the chances that the sequels will get some sort of save import capability a la Mass Effect with your previous save affecting each playthrough and story? I would love that. I just don't know how they're going to do it because there doesn't seem to be too many choices to make. The one thing that I do like about this, though, Chris, that I feel like is very that adds a little bit of realism was that you start when you start the game, I think everyone is level like seven or something like that, which is kind of neat because it shows that like they have a little bit of experience. Yeah. Taking care of themselves and fighting. They're not starting at like level one. But that's the one thing I'm confused about is how these characters are going to if you level. I think the level cap here is 50. If you level cap your character and then go into part two, are you and you can draw them in at level 50? It just seems like everyone's going to be really powerful. And what if you start? Final Fantasy 7 Remake 2 without having played the original or don't import a save if you can do that. This might be a little bit of a design problem, actually, later on, but yeah, I don't know for sure. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to do that. Huh. I never, I didn't think of that at all. Yeah, there's no guarantee that they're going to have any save importation, but I would obviously send your save to the cloud and just keep it there, and pardon the pun, if, in case, when the game, when the part two comes out, that you can import your save. But yeah, there's no real choice making of any consequence. I guess... They could, they you could draw in equipment and materia, and all of that. By the way, how do you like the the various systems? Some of them are new, some of them are not. The materia system is a little more robust than the in the original. You can upgrade your weapons a little bit more. Do you like uh, all of that? Yeah, I think it's fine. I think uh, it's it's an it's a nice little extra bit of customizability, which is always good. It's not too, it's not so deep that it feels like it's in the weeds, and it's not so shallow that it feels like it's meaningless um so it's it's just the right amount of depth for me in a game like this where i just don't want to really feel all that overwhelmed it's good yeah i like it too yeah it it doesn't cross that line which a lot of games do cross where it's just like there's one too many systems two too many systems and i'm like this is not this level of depth is totally unnecessary i feel like i can wrap my mind around everything and it all makes a lot of sense so Alex Landry wrote into us and said, hello, CM Squared. I am a fan of role playing games and have been a lifelong PlayStation fan. I also love my fair share of campy Japanese games. However, I have never played a single Final Fantasy game and I've never known anyone passionate about the games personally. Should I try Final Fantasy VII Remake as my first 
I'm still not entirely sure what goes on with the series or why it's interesting to people. Thanks for keeping Tuesdays great and keep fucking that chicken. Thank you, Alex. So Final Fantasy games are not related to each other, except for there's some commonalities like there are chocobos and moogles and various summons and all that kind of stuff that are the same. But unless a game is a direct sequel to itself, like Final Fantasy X and X-2, as an example, 13, 13, 2, 13, 3, they're not related to each other. So it's not necessary for you to start anywhere. You can actually play any of them in any order and they're not really going to ruin anything. But I will just reiterate that you should play the original Final Fantasy 7 before playing remake so you can appreciate it fully. But Final Fantasy 4 and Final Fantasy 6, I think, are the best Final Fantasy games, and they're totally unrelated to each other, and they're unrelated to 7, so you can jump into them in any particular order you want. Uh, Chris, let's get into the news. Uh, number one, uh, I just wrote here DualSense talk. So again, just to remind everyone, we did a Sacred Symbols Plus episode, an hour plus long about DualSense, took a lot of your questions, went into what we think about it, and all of that. That will be free as of the time you're hearing this, if you're listening to this in the first few days on free feed. So just go to Patreon dot com slash Collins last stand and you can listen to it for free no charge at all for the first few days after this is up I know that this is something that probably shouldn't be behind the paywall so I want to help you guys listen to that and we go into that in a lot of depth uh, but Chris do you have any additional thoughts since we've talked about this thing have you wrapped your mind anymore around it do you have anything to add uh no I, th- I think I'm I'm excited about it it looks cool I feel like it looks um it looks uh comfortable I like the ergonomics of it. I like that it's taking some cues from the Xbox as far as like the the, the big grips and the big back and just the heftier uh, form factor. Uh, I don't really care too much for the way that they've implemented the two-tone color, but that's, you know, that's pretty, uh, that's not really that major of a criticism, especially because there's no doubt going to be some solid variants and different color combinations and shit. Overall, I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting look at the design language of what the console is going to look like, because that's really the controller is really your first inkling of what the what the console looks like. Uh, you're not going to have a a white PS5 controller and then and then have a I don't like a green orb that plays PlayStation five games. So, yeah, um, just to in case people don't want to listen to that other podcast and just want the the news here. Basically, DualSense is the new PlayStation 5 controller. It's going to replace the DualShock. So it won't be DualShock 5. It'll be called DualSense. You can go to blog uh, blog.us.playstation.com, the PlayStation blog, to look at images of it. And it's interesting. We don't really know too much about it, apart from what we already knew with haptics and force feedback and all of that kind of stuff, I guess, going into it. L and R2 buttons seem a little more robust. The R and L1 buttons seem a little more robust. They're replacing... The share button with the create button, the touchpad remains in the middle, the sticks remain parallel. It's white and black, so it's kind of putting people off. Although I think that there'll probably be a bunch of different colors. This will just be the one that comes in the box. So you guys can go check that out. I just didn't want to ignore it here, but we did talk so deeply about it already that I would encourage you all to just go listen to the uh, the podcast dedicated just to it. Yeah, just 100% to it. Now, Pete did write in, though. Give us something to talk about here that we did not talk about on the DualSense episode. So it's hasty and see some fun facts. The PS5 logo reveal was most like gaming related pick on Instagram. The road to PS5 deep dive was trending number one on YouTube when it was live streamed. The DualSense reveal was the most liked gaming related tweet ever. IGN did a recent poll about next gen consoles and the PS5 dominated the poll. Are we as enthusiasts just a bit out of touch? As much as we think Sony is messing out the ro- messing up the rollout of the PS5, the numbers suggest otherwise. 
I guess sales will reveal the truth. What do you think of all that, Chris? There are a lot of good social media metrics, et cetera, about the PS5. Now, I, I would be careful with this because and I don't mean to be mean about anything here with politics, but Twitter, if Twitter was real life, then Bernie Sanders would be president of the United States right now. Yeah. And Andrew Yang would be like the vice president and Donald Trump would have gotten 10,000 votes total and all, you know, whatever the case might be. So and you know, Boris Johnson wouldn't be the prime minister of the UK. Like it just I, I'm always a little bit dubious of counting social media as meaning too much because I actually think social media, if anything, is the is the piece of the puzzle that is totally detached from any sort of reality. Everyone on Twitter hates Joe Biden and Joe Biden is most likely going to be the next president of the United States. So I just wanted to throw that out there just as a I don't mean it to be political. It's just an, a, a comparison yeah, yeah, yeah. to keep in mind. So what do you with all that said, what do you think? I think I think you're right. I mean, like the the most liked gaming tweet ever, like people will, you know, I don't know if that really matters. I don't know if trending on number one, like a lot of things trend number one on YouTube. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I, I think you want to be a little bit more careful because obviously the people who are excited about it, like these things are going to draw in the people who are like really excited about it. And yeah, the PS5 logo reveal would probably draw a lot of attention. Anything related to the PS5 would probably draw a lot of attention, uh, specifically because it's the PS5 and it's 2020 and far more people who are interested in PlayStation are on Twitter and on social media than they were in the PS4 days or in the PS3 days. I think, uh, yeah, I think you're going to want to be careful, like putting that much stock in social media. I don't think they're necessarily fucking up the rollout. Uh, I, I do think they could have, I do think that road to PS5 deep dive was just a bit weird. And I think it was trending on number one. I think it was number one trending on YouTube because people thought that they were going to get something that is more like what we, we've been getting lately, which is like the, the actual news about the machine and like what it looks like and the kind of things that we can expect as opposed to just sort of inside baseball technical metrics of like, hey, this is what our SSD does. When Sony puts out a video says saying the road to PS5, yeah, that's going to get a lot of attention. And you'll know also if you watch that video that it has a hilarious amount of dislikes. So it works both ways. Attention doesn't always mean endorsement. Yes. And uh, first of all, it's an excellent point about the likes to dislikes and all that. You have to pay attention to things a little bit more deeply. Like uh, what was that girl? Rebecca Black. Yeah. That saying that Friday song years ago and i think i actually saw her recently i don't know what what, what in what context but like people that was like one of the most watched videos in, in early and mid youtube and everyone like made fun of it so it's not it's not necessarily a good thing i'm not saying that that's what's gonna happen with ps5 but right. I, I think the the major problem is not social media it's that they're gonna release this console into a into a, a economic recession if not maybe even an economic depression and if people are going to have any money to buy this thing that I mean, that's that's now the major problem. I really think that they have to delay it. And now I, I don't mean they literally have to delay it. They can probably manufacture it and make enough to sell. But I just don't know if it's going to be a wise thing. That's the the situation I'm paying attention to more. The economic realities of the world than social media likes or dislikes, because people can like like Chris is saying, people can like anything they want. It doesn't necessarily mean they intend on buying it or even have the money to buy it, which is all Sony cares about and money is going to be at an all time or not an all time, but a, but a high premium 
comparative to recent times. And it's it's weird because we have this like dismembered economy right now where this, the stock market is doing fine. The stock market's only down like six. The Dow is only down like six thousand points or something from where it was before this all began, which is pretty unimaginable. And that's because there's no moral hazard embedded in this problem. There's no like systemic risk now going on with this. So we can't look. We have to look at deeper metrics. And it's about like the money in people's pockets and all those things. And that's why I think that it's not about enthusiasts being out of touch. It's about people being out of touch with the fact that we're going to have 20% unemployment or something like that and a new piece of $500 hardware that no one's going to be able to afford or you yeah. know, not everyone's going to be able to afford. And that's going to be a bigger problem. So the enthusiasm can be through the roof, just like the enthusiasm for like Andrew Yang was through the roof on Twitter, but it didn't translate into votes and y- you got to go vote, you know, so you, and you have to go buy it or it's not really going to matter. I, that, that like is going to mean much. So we have to just see the end result. Yeah. And uh, and Pete did say that he said at, this, at his last sentence was, I guess sales will reveal the truth. And that is the truth. So thank you, Pete. Again, uh, the dual sense is the PS5 controller. Go listen to our podcast. Go to PlayStation blog to see pictures of it. We don't know much too too much more about it. As we did say on the show, Eurogamer, I think, is reporting that they're going to do a full strip down of the hardware in the coming months. So I think we'll see more about that. And like Chris said, maybe we will have that around episode 100, which would be uh, very serendipitous indeed. Okay, Chris, let's get into the other news of the week. There's quite a few important things to get through. Number two, a reliable rumor suggests Capcom's slate of Resident Evil remakes is going to continue. And not surprisingly, next up is Resident Evil 4. Website Video Game Chronicle notes that multiple sources have told it that Resident Evil 4 is in development with a planned release year of 2022, which would make some sense. Interestingly, this rumor notes that stu- Japanese studio M2 is developing the game outside of Capcom's wall, not to be confused with the Japanese port team M2, the digit instead of written out, which has nothing to do with this project. Capcom is an investor in M2, however, making it something between a first and second party studio. And what makes this team working on Resident Evil 4 Remake a substantial piece of news is that M2 was founded by Tetsuya Minami. Minami was a longtime producer at Capcom, including on the original Resident Evil game, as well as a bunch of Mega Man games and others. Minami left Capcom in 2007 alongside Shinji Mikami, Hideki Kamiya, and Atsushi Anaba to found Platinum Games. And then in 2019, Minami left Platinum to create M2, retiring as, at the time, Platinum's very first CEO. A Japanese team led by a Resident Evil 4 veteran, programmer Kiyohiko Sakata, was the driving force behind Resident Evil 3 Remake under the moniker Redworks, and M2 actually contributed to the project as well. But it will be leading up Resident Evil 4 Remake and is aiming to get the game out after Resident Evil 8, which we first, uh, which we last week discussed, should be launched on both PS4 and PS5 in 2021. Resident Evil 4 first launched in early 2005 and was a GameCube exclusive for a short time before migrating to PlayStation 2. It can be played in HD format on both PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4. It is widely considered the best Resident Evil game ever made. Chris, I know that this troubles you, so talk to me about it. Yeah, I <laughs> I think Resident Evil 4 is a kind of a Ghostbusters situation almost, where it's kind of lightning in a bottle, and I don't know if, like, Resident Evil 4, Resident Evil 4 is so unique even i think among the original resident evil games that i wonder if you could even really faithfully recreate it without just copying it directly like i don't know if they can really pull a resident evil 2 remake or resident evil 3 remake where they just where they change some stuff or or like they maybe make the tone a little bit more serious and a little bit more dire 
because the tone that exists in Resident Evil 4 is so there's something very charming about it. It's almost like Shenmue in a in a way where it's like this is th- uh, this game has a lot of weird kind of hiccups and a lot of weird design choices that work almost purely because they're in this game. And if they're translated to like a brand new engine and a completely redone narrative and even just something like replacing the voice actors to do the same lines again i feel like you lose a lot of the charm in that like i don't know if i would want to see that game done in any other way aside from the way that it exists unless you were going to do something like i don't know like make it so the camera doesn't whip around as much maybe up up res the textures or 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 make it so you can walk a little bit while shooting like you can in resident evil 2 or resident evil 3 remake I just don't know how much you want to touch this game because it's not so old that it needs to be reconstructed. You know, like I feel like PS1 and I feel like I've said this a million times. PS1 games really do require some touching up and a lot of reimagination because they're so crude. But I could play Resident Evil 4 right now on my on my Xbox one and it looks totally fine. Like it looks entirely like a Resident Evil game, and I just don't know how you would really get away with a remake, really. Yeah, you and I, this is the thing you and I disagree upon, because it's interesting. I agree with you about the aesthetic. I actually think the aesthetic of Resident Evil 4 is actually what makes it special, because... Yeah, it's brown and very gray and dull, and there's something that, there's really, it's really good in that game. And I know if if, if it's going to be brought into next-gen hardware, it's going to be like, we got to make this thing look look pop we got to get we got to get some hdr in here we got to get some high contrast some like nice some sunsets, ray tracing some yeah. ray tracing and it's like dude I, I don't know i feel like that would just fuck with the tone like i don't know i don't know this is i don't like it yeah i i think if they can retain that brown fall faded washed out yeah like it's it's that was that has always been the most memorable thing about the game to me yeah is not the characters or the story. What like it's just I'm like th- this game is. Th- I think that was so bold because it's so bland. But that's what part that's part of what makes it so interesting. And when you compare it to Resident Evil Five, which came out four years later, especially it's like wow, this is really a a night and day thing. But I think Resident Evil Five plays a lot better than Resident Evil Four. And I I've said this in the past. I can't play Resident Evil Four. I just can't play it. I just I just we have moved on from the mm-hmm. way this game feels. And I've said in the past as well that I think the Wii port is the best port of the game because it it allows you to circumvent these limited control schemes that this was Resident Evil 4 was made in the space between. It, it's it's tanky, but and you stand still when you're shooting, but it's not quite a fluid third person shooter. But we had fluid third person shooters at this time, like Kill Switch and Gears of War was just around the corner. And I don't know, it's just I feel like they need to fix the way it plays. And if they're going if they're going to do that, then they should just remake it. There are I mean, things, that's kind of my there yeah. are things that they can do. But like the thing is, like I, I, I would agree that I would want to be able to move around while while shooting. I, the camera is like super weird. Like whenever you turn right, it like whips. Uh, it's like a really whippy camera. I don't know how else to describe it. And stuff like that is annoying. But aside from just the aiming and the shooting and the walking. I feel like everything in that game needs to remain basically as it was. 
And that kind of leads me to the question of like, would you even bother remaking a game if all you were going to do is let Leon walk and shoot? Yeah. No, you wouldn't do yeah. that. What you're going to do is you're going to make the game from the ground up and change everything like you did with Resident Evil 3, which isn't really being received all that well. I I just don't know if they can retain what's special about Resident Evil 4 without completely just kind of falling and tripping all over it. Because I do agree, like, it plays really... Like, it takes a while to get used to, especially, like, now when we're just so used to fluid... Uh, fluid controls in a lot of third-person shooters, and even like with Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3, games that just play a lot more reliably and, and games that give you a little bit more freedom while keeping that tension and, and allowing you to move around while aiming and shooting. But really, that's the only flaw that I could find with that game, is that specific thing. And I don't know if the, R, I don't know if the R&D would really be best spent on just taking that game and just letting you walk and shoot. I don't know. Yeah, it is contentious, man. There's a lot of people that feel like you. I, I actually think that you might be in the majority with your opinion that this is kind of a step too far. I think the bigger surprise for me is not that they're going to do this because uh, this is a rumor still, but I think it's true. But it's that they're skipping Code Veronica and Resident Evil Zero, which I think could. Uh, first of all, I think Resident Evil Zero is completely underrated. I've always really loved that entry of the series on GameCube and you can play it on PS4 now, I think, and on PS3. But it is weird that they I, I would like for them to reflect a little bit on Resident Evil 3. I guess that they thought maybe it was going to be a little bit better received. We'll talk a little bit in a, in a little while about it did sell very well. So mm-hmm. I guess that's all they really care about. But it would have been cool for them to use Code Veronica and Resident Evil Zero as a way for them to. Take some time, figure out what they want to do if they really want to go forward, because by the time they reach Resident Evil 5, that. That's when I would agree, like, you don't need to remake Resident Evil 5. It's fine. So, I mean, it's not very good, but it, it feels fine. But re- they were always going to make Resident Evil 4 again. I, I I just feel like this was it was all culminating with this. Yeah. You know, like this was this is the one. And for as well as Resident Evil 2 and 3 sold in remake form, Resident Evil 4 is going to fucking kill. Pardon the pun. How old is Resident Evil 4? When did Resident Evil 4 come out? It came out in January of 2005. So it's 15 it's, years. It's uh, a. Yeah, I was a sophomore, I think, in uh, or junior in college when it came out. Yeah, so fifteen years. That is the max. That is the minimum amount of time that you can wait for to remake a game. I think it's it's interesting you say that because I agree. Like they were, it's funny we're in a in an era of remakes and remasters and stuff, but Capcom was really pioneering a lot of this stuff because they remade the original Resident Evil in two thousand two. Yeah, that was only that was six years after Resident Evil came out. So. Now, I think Remake is a much better game than the original Resident Evil, but they really were pioneering this whole spirit of going back in and fixing things and all of that. And I don't know that it's it's I don't think that it's imprudent for them to think about doing this with Resident Evil 4, but I think that they just need to retain the spirit. And that's why I think that having, you know, someone like uh, Tetsuya Minami back in the fold, a guy who was a resident, an old Resident Evil hat and the CEO of Platinum, I just think that it's probably in pretty good hands. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Like, I, I personally don't think they have the courage to make a game that is as washed out. Like, I don't think they have the courage to put that in trailers, being like, look how washed out our game looks. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like they're going to want to flex the hardware. And like show all the lighting and how look, you can see every 
you know, follicle of hair on Leon's stupid little eyelashes. And it's like, yeah, ah. yeah. <laughs> just, yeah you know. could be right. And a 2022 aim means that it's probably going to be next gen only. Yeah. So that'll be interesting, too. But we'll see. We will see indeed. And by the way, we did bring up the Resident Evil 8 rumor last week, and I brought it up here a little bit. There is a rumor, an additional rumor that Resident Evil 8 is going to be PSVR functional. So not a huge surprise, but just wanted to throw that out there as well. Now, more survival horror news. Now, this one's a little more confounding to me. I have a, I have a lot to say about this. Mm-hmm. Number three, speaking of survival horror, the recent Silent Hill rumors, which were seemingly debunked by Konami's PR, simply won't go away. Website Push Square relays word from a poster on notorious Internet cesspool reset era, which states that Sony and Konami are actually collaborating on a Silent Hill reboot. This apparently reliable source states that the game is to be made as a first party game at Sony owned Japan studio with Konami partially funding the project, but otherwise leaving it to Sony to produce and market the game, presumably as a PlayStation exclusive. Keiichiro Toyama, a longtime director at Japan studio, is supposedly leading the development team, which makes some sense as Toyama was the director and writer of the original Silent Hill in 1999, and then went to Sony, where he wrote and directed the niche PlayStation-exclusive horror trilogy Siren between 2003 and 2008. Toyama then went on to direct the Gravity Rush games, known as Gravity Days in Japan, on Vita and PS4. The Reset Era rumor says that Reboot has been in development for 18 months, and considering Gravity Rush 2 came out back in 2017, the timing works. The Silent Hills rumor also remain alive, with word being that Sony is trying to mend fences between Kojima and Konami, to get the project going again, though all of this remains to be seen. It's worth noting that website Rely on Horror talked to Konami PR, which outright denied the rumors uh, were, uh, were true when they first emerged in early March. So if this is true, Konami straight up lied when asked, which isn't necessarily unusual. In the late 90s and early aughts, Silent Hill was a true survival horror classic that rivaled and even surpassed Resident Evil in critical and commercial acclaim. With the exception of 2014's PT demo, however, Silent Hill has been a dormant franchise since 2012. Jordan Goodeye wrote into us on Patreon and says, hello, PS1 Colin and Remake Chris. I know you guys were reserved on the rely on horror rumor with a, si- a new Silent Hill, but do you think this new leak from Dust Golem, who's the person on Reset Era, gives any more credence to the rumor? Considering the track record of the leaker and what you guys said about it being more likely for Sony to publish with Konami rather than buy the IP, could a Silent Hill remake or new entry from Sony and the original creators seem possible with all of this buzz? What do you say about this, Chris? This is interesting. Uh, I don't believe it. I don't believe so it. So you at think, all. yeah. So you think that it it is it is it is convenient to connect Toyama to this being yeah. a Japan studio, but Konami but Konami did say that this isn't true. They said it. You know, yeah. like I, I don't know who to believe really. Yeah, I I just don't. I don't. I, I, something about this just doesn't seem right, or or just seems like the ideal situation. And like nothing about Konami has ever implied that the ideal situation is ever something that happens. So even just from just like a structural like event, like none of this makes sense. The idea that uh, Konami and Kojima will ever mend fences or that that's even something that Sony would even try to do. Like, why would you want to mend fences between Sony and Konami or or, uh, Kojima and Konami when you have Kojima now? Like, why would you want to do that? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the other thing about that that seems weird to me, especially with the Silent Hills rumor with Kojima, is that Sony doesn't own Kojima Productions. So, like, why would they be acting as the intermediary other than being the publisher of the project? But you think that Kojima 
if Kojima and Konami wanted to work together, like Chris is saying, why would they ha- have Sony involved? They would just, I mean, that would be the biggest coup ever for Konami to be like, oh, we got Kojima back. And and if they and if they were able to do that, wouldn't, wouldn't they want Metal Gear you know, and not Silent Hill? I, I, I just think that that's the weird part. I, I don't, the Kojima Konami thing, I, I don't know about. But the Toyama thing, I don't know if it's just someone making that connection. But I would think that Sony... If Sony wanted to explore horror again, why wouldn't they just make a Siren game? They own that IP. Japan Studio made those three games. They had a team called Siren Team within Japan Studio that made them. And they wouldn't have to split the money with anyone. And it would probably sell pretty well. I mean, Until Dawn, which was second party, sold pretty well as a horror game. They don't really explore this genre very much. I I don't know that this makes a whole lot of sense to me. But my, my big thing, Chris, is just that Konami told that horror website that it's not true. So they could be lying. It might not be for them to even say anything. But if why wouldn't they just say if this was a Sony thing, Konami PR wouldn't have anything to do with it anyway. And why would they just they would just they should just ignore the email. Yeah, like, oh, we're not going to. I mean, Konami ignores everyone anyway. Why wouldn't <laughs> you just like so it just seems to, weird. Like it's, it could be a red herring, maybe. But I don't know that this makes a lot of sense. It, it, it seems like a rumor that a lot of people are compelled by. Apparently, this Dusk Golem person over Cetera is pretty reliable and has predicted or kind of leaked things in the past. Toyama being at Japan Studio for so long and being responsible for Silent Hill is very compelling. But again, they own Siren. He made the Siren games. Why wouldn't you just let him make a new Siren game or just make a new IP? which everyone wants on PlayStation anyway. I just don't know that they necessarily are going to sell that much more for it being Silent Hill. I don't know that Silent Hill PT was a big deal. I know that. But I'm not so convinced that Silent Hill is this th- big thing everyone thinks it is. And, and, I, and what I point to is everyone assumed Death Stranding was going to be this like knockout critical success, and it wasn't. And I just think Silent Hill has been dormant for so long, and it's not even been good for longer than that. So I yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I just think don't people... I think people want Silent Hill specifically because of PT, because PT was so outstanding, and it, it was just a really good proof of concept of, as to like what this specific group of people could do with this IP that could be really, really compelling. Because that really was, and it's a shame that it never really escalated beyond that, because it, that really was kind of like a the ideal resurgence for a franchise. Like you could not, if you had a franchise, a fledgling franchise, and you just came out with this demo that took the world by storm that everyone was praising like that's ideal that is such an ideal situation you can't people would kill for that um and it just kind of fell through and i i I think that might be the reason why there was a lot of talk maybe even behind the scenes about getting silent hill started again because of all the interest in pt and how well that did but i think you could just as easily because pt had so little to do with silent hill anyway why not just take that and make a new IP with it. Like, you could do that. Like, it would be entirely fine. Like, you, everybody could know in the zeitgeist that, like, yeah, this is a spiritual successor to Silent Hill or, like, whatever. And that'd be fine. Like, people would... I feel like people would eat that shit up. If you had a new horror game from the creators of PT, like, that would be wild. That would be huge. Yeah, it, it would be. I, I think that's why it's interesting, like... I don't know. Sony has a second party relationship with Kojima. 
Doesn't seem like they're going to buy Kojima Productions or maybe it's not even for sale. Again, they own Siren. They have Toyama. They do have a relationship with Konami. A lot of these things do line up, but and some people are pointing out, and it's true that that Sony was responsible for porting some Konami stuff to PlayStation recently. I mean, they did do the Rondo port and the Symphony of the Night port. They paid for that. Konami didn't pay for it at all. They just split the money. So there is some sort of precedence for this. And the timing does make sense because Gravity Rush 2 did come out in 2017. The game apparently has been in production for 18 months. So that sounds about right. I'm I'm undecided on this because I could believe I mean, PR does lie. It reminds me of like when Sony and David Jaffe lied about Twisted Metal forever when it was coming to PS3 and then he came out of a fucking ice cream truck on stage uh, at E3 and <laughs> everyone's like, well, you lied, you lied. And it's like, yeah, we did lie. So, I mean, it does happen, but I just feel like, could this be a true rumor? Yes. It's also something that anyone that knows a lot about PlayStation would be able to make this kind of connection with Toyama, yeah. Siren, Silent Hill and all that. So I don't know. I don't know. I would like for it to be true because I think that would be cool, but I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out. Number four, if you pre-ordered The Last of Us Part 2 or Iron Man VR, you may want to keep an eye out on your PSN wallet or bank account. That's because according to PlayStation's support website, each and every digital pre-order for both games have been automatically refunded. Not a great sign for both delayed games. As you recall, last week, we discussed that both titles were simultaneously delayed by Sony, seemingly because the company couldn't reliably produce hard copies to launch alongside digital copies due to production issues related to the coronavirus. Camouflage's Iron Man VR was slated to come out on PSVR May 15th, while The Last of Us Part 2 to PS4 was to come out on May 29th. Neither have been given new release dates. And while this move could have simply been executed to save Sony the nightmare of having to refund anyone who requested it, it could also be a sign that we aren't getting these games anytime soon. What do you make of this? This was a surprising piece of news. I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart, but this seems to me them saying... Just take we'll take your money later. We don't really we're not going to deal with this constant fucking nightmare on our customer support lines of you asking for your money back or asking to transfer your pre-order. Am I right? Or do you think that there's more to this that they the games are just not going to be ready? Uh, I think it's a bit of both. I think uh, that doesn't it certainly doesn't spell good news for uh, when this thing is going to come out. But I do think it also is largely just like, hey, yeah, we're just going to do a mass refund because that's easier than just dealing with everything on like a minor scale like i think uh even just thinking about the amount of people that you would have to deal with personally to get that shit done is like haunting to me so yeah i I would imagine i would imagine that it's likely just an exercise of convenience yeah that seems to make the most sense to me i i don't know that it's anything more than that but we will i guess find out soon what the deal is with these games hopefully it's a shame, though, because The Last of Us will be fine, but Iron Man VR having to charge back refund or refund these pre-orders is probably going to hurt that game, which is probably never going to wasn't going to sell very well to begin with. So, yeah, it, it, is, it is a shame. Um, but Germanos wrote into us on Patreon and said, hello, gentlemen. I hope this comment finds you both well. I've just listened to episode 93, and I have to say, for me, it is obvious that The Last of Us 2 was moved due to the theme of the game and current world situation. Remember Motorstorm Apocalypse and the Japan tsunami disaster. You mentioned that it's zombies and not a deadly virus, but that is not the point. It's about what The Last of Us shows, a brutal to the core world where humanity and all of its best is gone, where people fight for everything and no one cares for each other, etc. That is also why I don't like the game, as I believe people are better, while the thought of such a world being real scares the hell out of me. Yeah, I mean, I'm a consp- again, I-, I believe in this conspiracy theory. I, I do think that 
the theme of The Last of Us has something to do with this. And I do think that Iron Man VR getting delayed is probably a little bit of plausible deniability that this might be the case, but Mm -hmm. I don't really know. I mean, I don't really know for sure. The next question will actually answer it, though, because uh, the assassin AK-47 wrote into us on Patreon, said, hey, CNC, how soon will Ghost of Tsushima be delayed? Do you think it will stay and The Last of Us Part 2 will come out after it? I can see The Last of Us 2 coming out when the PS5 launches this year and it will be a cross-gen title. Thank you for everything. Well, the big... Whether I'm right or wrong here is going to be contingent, Chris, on if Ghost of Tsushima is delayed. Yeah. Because if Ghost of Tsushima also gets pushed, then it obviously does have everything to do with production and nothing to do with subject matter. So let's let's back up here. Do you think Ghost of Tsushima will be delayed? Yes. Yeah, I do, too. I, I, I think that they're going to have to do it pretty soon. Yeah. The game's supposed to come out in six weeks, right? Fuck, really? No, 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 no. That was The Last of Us. So no, uh, that would be 10 weeks then. I think that, yeah, I think that they're going to have to, yeah, because it was June, that's right. I think they're going to have to make a decision on this pretty soon. It would be ideal for Ghost of Tsushima to stay and come out first, though, because I think that that was always the ideal situation. So they might have stumbled into a good situation if they can keep Ghost of Tsushima where it is in late June. But I think we'll find out more about this soon. There's also the chance that uh, the devs... Sucker Punch will probably just be like, hey, you know what? We, we've we got the ideal situation here. We're out before The Last of Us. We'll just put it out on digital. <laughs> like, maybe they don't really mind that. I know I know Naughty Dog does because they've got, like, a really, really highly anticipated game. But maybe for something like Ghost of Tsushima, which is, like, I don't know, maybe a new IP and just sort of kind of needing to stand out from the crowd, maybe, maybe that'll be a reason enough for them to be like, all right, you know what? We'll, we could put it out on digital and do a we'll see what we can get physically just got to get the game out it's po- it's possible i don't really know how that shit works behind the scenes but or like who really decides that so yeah i think this is i mean sucker punch and naughty dog are both owned by sony and i, I do think that this decision is probably somewhat determined at the developer level but probably not mostly or entirely the reason i say that is because neil Druckmann seems at naughty dog seems pretty bummed about The Last of Us Part 2. I don't know that... I, I mean, I haven't talked to him about this, so I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth. I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea, but I, I feel like they might have made a different decision about releasing the game. I think that this is more Sony trying to be fair to everyone and equitable, which makes sense, and I think that they're going to have to do that with Ghost of Tsushima too, especially because it's been in development for so long, but I feel like if we can just emerge from this coronavirus pandemic soon... And they can get their production back in order in China or wherever they're, they're, wherever they print their discs. I think they print discs in the UK as well. Um, then we can probably get this thing out and then punt The Last of Us. I don't think The Last of Us is going to be on PS5. I mean, it'll be natively on PS5 or natively on PS5, but we'll play on PS5. I don't like this idea of pushing it to PS5's launch. I think that getting it out as soon as possible is still ideal. So even if you launched in late June for Ghost of Tsushima, if you can get The Last of Us out in July or August, I think that would be ideal because Cyberpunk comes out and we'll talk about that in a minute in September. And I don't, I don't think you want to mess around with that game, even if you're The Last of Us Part 2. So I still think that July or August is the ideal situation. So yes, I think Ghost of Tsushima going first and then The Last of Us going second is is probably ideal. As far as Germanos wrote in and talked about Motorstorm Apocalypse, that is true. And for people that don't know what he's talking about, Motorstorm Apocalypse was a Evolution developed game. Evolution used to be a Sony owned studio. They don't exist anymore. They made Drive Club. People will remember. And Motorstorm was a really popular 
PS3 uh, racing series and Motorstorm Apocalypse was partially all about an earthquake and the destruction of like cities and you would race around or whatever. And the game was supposed to come out right when the earthquake happened in, I think it was March of 2011 in Japan or whatever it was. And so the game was delayed for a little while and never came out in Japan at all. So Sony is cognizant, I think, of some of these touchy issues, but I don't know if The Last of Us's subject matter is really that close to home. Because you, he had said, you mentioned that it's zombies and not a deadly virus. No, The Last of Us is about a deadly virus. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's about a pandemic that kills, I think, 60% of the, of the world or something like that. So it, that's exactly what it's about. I, I, yeah, but like by The Last of Us Part 2, that's really not what that's about anymore. Like, it, it, I don't know. I don't know if it's one as one-to-one as as uh <laughs> as a tsunami and a and an earthquake destroying Japan is to yeah. Motostorm Apocalypse. I feel like it's there's a lot more there and like I don't know, are they just gonna stop airing the Walking Dead? You know, like I just I don't I I, I never believe in this bullshit where it's like, oh hey, there's a really touchy thing going on right now. We gotta delay this thing. Like I I I, I don't even understand why they cut out the Twin Towers and Spider-Man, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, I just, I don't understand. It makes no sense to me. Just leave the fucking thing in there. It's weird to me that you would just erase it. <laughs> After, like... Yeah. yeah. All this stuff just feels weird whenever you're, like... Because I feel like there's a lot of emphasis put on, like, what the news might say. Or, like, what old me- old media might freak out about. But, like, I, I don't... I don't think that really exists online. It's kind of like the divide you see between, like, internet-savvy advertisers and, like like mainstream advertisers who like freak out if something bad happens on YouTube and they're like, Oh, we got to pull our ads. Meanwhile, like, you know, dollar shave clubs in here, like racking up the the big boys and making a ton of money because they don't care because they're a lot more savvy and they understand like, Hey, whatever, we don't care. Like, what does it matter? As long as we're getting out there. And I feel like there's kind of like a similar thing here where it's like, so what if there's a crazy virus, don't you want to play something that's really good? Yeah, like my cons- yeah, my conspiracy theory is probably not true. I know, I, well, I think you're right based on how they how how Sony acts, but I think just like the philosophy of it, like the idea that like oh this hits too close to home, I just never understood it personally. I don't think I don't think I would ever. Per, if I was in charge of Sony and dis- and distribution like that, I would not make that decision. I would I would not delay a game like that for no reason, in my mind. Well, hopefully we have an answer to this soon. They're going to have to, they're going to have to, if they're going to delay Ghost of Tsushima, they're going to need to delay it in the next month, maybe a little more. So they do have a little bit of time to see out, feel out how this all goes. Yeah. And it does give Naughty Dog a little more time, which I, I don't think ever hurts. But the, uh, the one interesting rumor that was going around about The Last of Us, I don't know if you saw this, was that the bad guys in the, and I thought this was pretty obvious, but that the bad guys are like Christian fundamentalists in the game, uh, which I think sounds fucking awesome. And for some reason, this has people like some people up in arms. I'm like, that sounds fucking dope. You know, yeah. uh, I love that. So I'm, I'm, I hope that that's true. I thought that was pretty obvious from one of the trailers that they were that at least some of the bad guys were these Christian dudes. But yeah, uh, no, I thought so too. I, I think that's I don't know. Are people really freaking out about it? They freak people freak out about every, like when a, when a bad guy because apparently they're like homophobic and obviously Ellie's gay. And I'm like, wow, that's 
they're bad guys. Oh, don't want don't want the bad guys doing bad things. That's so weird. They should be they should be good guys. They should be they should embrace Ellie's lifestyle choice. You know, it's like, don't you want them to be antagonists? So when I read that, I was like, oh, that sounds so cool. Yeah. Uh, I love that. So it's why I loved Resident or um, Far Cry 5 is because of the whole Christian fundamental thing. I thought yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's a really neat yeah. concept. I want to play Far Cry 5 again. I didn't really give it a fair shot. But I think, um, I don't know, just to close it out, like a lot of this stuff reminds me of the six days in Fallujah thing back in mm. back in 08, where it's like, oh, hey, it's a game about a war in Iraq or like a war in the Middle East and based on a real thing. And it's like, I, come on. Like, I, I just I didn't see the problem then. I, I just don't see the problem now. And that was far more one to one than anything has ever been. So I don't know, this is where I think, what yeah. I think about it. It's funny you bring that up because I uh, on my Q&A last month on Patreon, someone did write in about Six Days in Fallujah. If people are unfamiliar with that game, it was a Konami published game about the Fallujah in Iraq, which I think happened in 2004, mm-hmm. 2005 during the surge, I believe. And it was supposed to be really accurate to the times and the people that were there and all of that. And there were a lot of complaints actually from military families. And it was a little bit of surprise. It was surprising because the military in the United States is is very right wing. And usually don't get with all due respect you don't usually get in the modern era a lot of censoring complaints from the right you used to back in the 70s and 80s with like D&D and all that kind of shit but that usually doesn't happen anymore here you usually get it from the left and so that was what was so surprising about it the game was done and actually never came out and I'm still hoping that one day that game emerges but yeah. I don't know that that it ever will, because I thought that that game sounded great. I I, re- I wrote quite a bit about it on IGN because I was pretty pissed off that that game got delayed. I thought it was bullshit. Yeah. And um, I love the American military. I love service members. We have lots of them that listen to this show. I know some of them are, are sensitive to what happened there, but I just felt like, well, we I guess proximity matters. It, the uh, war is was still going on at the time. I guess that's true. But we do have lots of like Generation Kill on HBO is also contemporary to what was happening in Iraq yeah. and in the Middle East and oh, there were plenty other of, examples. There were plenty of movies and shows that were about like yeah. what was going on currently. So like I just, I don't know. It's never been a thing that I've understood. Yeah, I think that game was just a little too early in terms of like if it was coming out in a different time, it would have it would have made it through. But we never, I, it's, I don't think it ever leaked. I don't think any of it ever really leaked other than what we had seen about it. So yeah. Number five. There's some new information about CD Projekt's eagerly anticipated RPG Cyberpunk 2077 that's worth going over. For starters, while the developer's entire team is working from home due to coronavirus, the studio reiterated the game's launch date in its most recent financial report, that being September 17th, 2020. Games Industry International listened in on the accompanying financial call, which noted that the game was playable front to back and that they will launch a day zero patch with the game. Localization issues are cropping up, however, and they're having problems getting all the voice acting done across all applicable languages for all characters because of coronavirus. It's entirely possible some VO will have to be added in via patch after the game launches as a result. But CD Projekt still doesn't identify it as a so-called quote unquote major risk. IGN Poland, meanwhile, relays word from the same financial call that CD Projekt is planning DLC and expansion support for Cyberpunk 2077. That's on par with Witcher 3's, if not larger. The site notes that Witcher 3 received about 40 hours of extra content through expansions. So it seems like Cyberpunk's going to be on on time, uh, according to CD Projekt. And this is good news because we, Chris and I were speculating and a lot of people were speculating if this was going to be the next big game that got bumped. But yeah. I think they have enough time 
to finish it and also get the game published. So are you feeling bullish about this game coming out on time? I think it probably will. Yeah, I think they uh, I think they've pretty they've locked themselves into a bit of a, a hole if they didn't because if if they weren't going to push it because they kind of have to now. But yeah, I I actually don't think this game is going to be delayed. I think it's enough time between now and then that they could really work out a lot of the kinks, a lot of the production issues could probably be, you know, slowly dealt with and uh, they could probably get the game out on time and I I bet this game's going to be polished as hell. Yeah, I think so too. I'm excited about it. It looks awesome. Really, really looking forward to checking it out. And I think September is a perfect time for it. They were very magnanimous on the call because I was reading a thing where they were saying someone was asking like, well, other games might get bumped into your into September. And will that one you make you bump your game? And if I were them, I'd be like, we're, we're going to eat these guys alive. <laughs> but they, they instead said, uh, no, like you, there's no good time to release a game. And that's true. I mean, there isn't any good or bad time to release a game. You just kind of got to get it out. So Cyberpunk 2077 on pace for its September 17th release date. Good to hear, though it might be missing some voice acting, I doubt, in English, but maybe in some of your native languages. Number six, if you're a game developer, depending on where you are in the world, you may have a problem getting your game rated for release on consoles and PC, whether via ESRB here in the United States or Peggy in Europe or even Cero in Japan. Why? Because of coronavirus, of course, an answer that's becoming a trend in all things. Kotaku reports that the Japanese rating board Cero is having the largest issue largely because, unlike with other ratings boards, you actually have to book a meeting and go into their office to get rated and cleared. They are completely shut down due to social distancing until May 6th at the earliest, so any game looking to launch there without a rating in the interim won't be able to. IGN, on the other hand, relays word that the ESRB and Peggy are dealing with things a bit better. Since March 16th, the ESRB has been working remotely, and a spokesperson told the site that they've, quote, seen no delay in assigning ratings. We will continue to assign ratings remotely for as long as required, end quote. Peggy also told IGN that its remote working operation isn't interrupting its distribution of ratings. The ESRB, or Entertainment Software Ratings Board, was founded in 1994 by industry forces looking to avoid government interference. Peggy, or the Pan-European Game Information Board, was founded in 2003 and, and for the same purpose, while Cero, or the game, uh, computer, rating organi- uh, computer Entertainment Rating Organization, was founded in 2002 also for the same reason. Ooh. Dan- Daniel Pressure wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, do you think we will see any effects of the Japanese rating board being closed in America? I wouldn't think so personally, but I'm sure they probably will be an obscure game or two that might want to hold off if planning a worldwide release or if they get most of their sales in the Japanese market. I don't think so. I think that it might affect American games or Western games getting published in Japan, but I don't think it's going to go the other direction. Yeah, Japan isn't Japan isn't a very big market anymore for for console games. So, no, I don't think you have anything to worry about there. But I thought that that was an interesting. I, I can't believe you have to go in person to Cero to get your game rated. I did not know that. That's, <laughs> that's fucking kinda, nuts. That's, that's really wild. Uh, that's so that's obnoxious. <laughs> but because I have some experience now with ESRB and Peggy, you just submit with ESRB. You literally just fill out a survey. And with Peggy, you have to like send them some clips of the game and then fill out like a little survey. So it's like not, not a big deal. It's basically like a trust issue, because if you lie to them and they find out or you get reported, then you're just never going to be able to get rated again. So it keeps everyone honest. I don't know why in Japan you have to go in person to do this, but that seems completely unnecessary. Number seven, the official PlayStation blog has revealed the best-selling games on PlayStation Network for the month of March 2020. Here they are in order of most downloads. Call of Duty Modern Warfare, MLB The Show 20, Grand Theft Auto 5, Doom Eternal, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 Campaign Remastered, Minecraft, 
NBA 2K20, Neo 2, The Forest, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, The Division 2, Persona 5 Royal, Rainbow Six Siege, FIFA 20, Rocket League, Resident Evil 2, The Sims 4, NHL 20, Doom, and EA Sports UFC 3. PSVR's top 10 most downloaded games in order were Beat Saber, Job Simulator, Skyrim VR, Super Hot VR, Creed Rise to Glory, Arizona Sunshine, Astrobot Rescue Mission, Until Dawn Russia Blood, Drunken Bar Fight, and LA Noir The VR Case Files. PS4's top 10 most downloaded free to play games were in order. Call of Duty Warzone, Fortnite, Apex Legends, Brawlhalla, Dauntless, Cuisine Royale, Dogfighter World War II, Warface, Warframe, and 3 on 3 Freestyle. Fortnite, The Division 2, and Rainbow Six Siege topped the most downloaded DLC and expansions list. Nothing too surprising there. Good to yeah. see Doom Eternal doing well, though. Yeah, man. Number four. Happy about that. And uh, also, this game, um, The Forest, just keeps cruising. I don't know if it's like... like let me look. The Forest... PlayStation Store. I don't know if it's just like really cheap or what. No, it's 20 bucks. Yeah, I don't I downloaded this game when it came out. I was really excited about it. It just doesn't play very well, but it must have some audience, man. I mean, it's cruising along. It's on the chart every week, every month. It's pretty it's crazy. It looks yeah, gorgeous, at least from the screenshots. It looks super cool. I mean, I was super excited about it, but I just don't think it plays well at all. Yeah, maybe it's on PC that it shines. Number eight, a few episodes ago, this is a weird one. We told you about a game called Broomstick League, which is basically Harry Potter's game of Quidditch in an entirely unofficial and unauthorized form. <laughs> it was due to come to PlayStation 4 soon and was actually already available on Steam Early Access. But as eagle-eyed writers at website Push Square noted, the game seems to have been scrapped entirely. The game's Steam page now reads, quote, at the request of the publisher, Broomstick League is no longer available for sale on Steam, end quote. The game's website is gone, as are its social media pages. This is likely due to complaints from Warner Brothers, the entity that, as of 2019, now owns the Harry Potter brand. There actually have been official Quidditch video games, most notably from EA in 2003, in the form of Harry Potter Quidditch World Cup. Whether we'll see something in Broomstick League's place or not remains to be seen, but added to the list of finished titles slated for PS4 that will never actually come to the console. I was actually kind of blown away that this game was going to come, so it, it seemed to have been squashed, which is good, I guess. But it, it was a total ripoff. I thought it, I assumed for a while that it was just a authorized Quidditch game, but it's not. Broomstick League. <laughs> That's so funny. N not official. All right. And finally, a wrap up number nine. Website Komatsu reports that adventure survival game Microman will be coming to PlayStation 5 at some point in late 2021. That retro styled adventure game Commander 85 is coming to PS4 later this fall. That visual novels Yumosutsu Remaster and Yumosutsu Reafter are coming to PS4 and Vita at some point later in 2020. That Japanese rhythm combat game Giraffe and Anika is coming to PS4 on August 25th. That roguelike game Dungeon of the Endless will come to PS4 on May 15th. That horror game Cannibal is coming to PS4 in November of 2020. That turn-based strategy game 1971 Project Helios is coming to PS4 on June 9th. And that visual novel Vampire the Masquerade Shadows of New York, an expansion to the already released Coteries of New York, is coming to PS4 later in 2020. Gamatsu also reports that Souls-like game Hellpoint has been delayed out of its mid-April release date on PS4 and will not come out at some point later in this and will now, I'm sorry, come out at some point later in the second quarter. Website Push Square reports that Strange Farming Sim um, uh, Atama Crops is coming to PS4 on May 28th. Website IGN relays word that Polish studio Bloober Team appears primed to remaster its current-gen horror game Observer in the form of Observer System Redux, which is likely PS5-bound, according to a mysterious tweet from the developer. The official Saints Row Twitter account 
confirmed that a new Saints Row game is still in development at Volition with an external team called Sparasoft porting Saints Row the third to PS4. Square Enix has confirmed that the upcoming 5.3 patch for Final Fantasy 14, originally slated for June, will now be delayed, likely until July at the earliest. The official Twitter account for Crisis, the Crisis series, has magically sprung back to life, tweeting receiving data in all caps. We don't know if that means anything or if it could still signal a collection or a new game. And finally, Resident Evil 3 Remake has surpassed 2 million copies sold with 50% of sales coming digitally. Ooh. That is all for the news, Chris. It is time to get into the games that are coming out this week on PS4, PS Vita, and PSVR. Tradition dictates you go first. AFL Evolution 2 comes to PS4. The evolution continues, a true reflection of the modern AFL game. Pursue uh, your goals with greater depth, improved draft, free agency, and state leagues. Includes uh, Guernsey? Creator. Sure. Nah, whatever. Uh, Player and team management. Uh, create share online on fan hub. <laughs> sounds kind of sounds kind of suggestive for some reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> play head to head and uh, top the leaderboard or team up with up to eight mates online. I like that they use mates instead of friends. Yeah. So this was on the drop last week, but I guess it got pushed by a week. So it was there again. So now it really is out, I guess. Blind men comes to PS4 and Vita. Can Keegan make a name for himself? Or will he fall victim to the charms of his enemy? As the nephew of a retired supervillain, there's nothing Keegan wants more than to become one himself. And what better way to j- than to join the League of Evil? All he needs to do is commit a crime to complete his application. <laughs> okay. That's kind of funny. Crashing the Boys Street Challenge comes to PS4. Coming from the city of Spring Hill, Crash and his friends have chosen to take on Todd's Sports Challenge. But for the five entering teams, the trials aren't your usual athletic disciplines. Pole vault is used to jump between buildings, uh, rooftops. Golf's is, golf is played with a throwing hammer. The 400-meter hurdle allows, you, allows your opponents anything to hinder your performance? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. This is, okay, come on and show Todd the spirit of Spring Hill sportsman. I think that this is... Um, I'm going to look this up. Yeah, I, yeah. so this is a, a, actually a, a Kunio Kun game, I think, which a lot of these are like a brawler game, which a lot of these are that were already in that Kunio Kun collection that came out. I think they're individually releasing them. Oh, that explains why the... <laughs> it must be really difficult to make a write-up for a game like this. Yeah, and we're going to read a bunch more of these uh, today. Good. Double Dragon comes to PS4. The explosive original game that sparked the worldwide fame of beat them all games. Double Dragon, beat them all. <laughs> In order to rescue your girlfriend, Marion, use your legendary fighting style, Sosetsuken, to make your way through the street thugs. Make good use of the new techniques you will unlock as you level up and rescue Marion. Double Dragon 2 comes to PS4. The second episode of Billy and Jimmy's Saga. Double Dragon 2, The Revenge. The Lee brothers are back to avenge the death of Marion at the hands... Okay, well... <laughs> that's a good, good spo- <laughs> a good spoiler there. Uh, at the hands of the Shadow Warriors. Fight your way through street gangs, ninjas, giant mutant fighters, as well as spiked ceilings and mechas with sharp claws by using newly acquired hyper uppercut and flying knee kick. Uh, the beat them all games. <laughs> you really just completely spoiled the first one in the right. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Double, I, the beginning of Double Dragon is pretty wild because like the, the thugs walk up to Marion and punch her in the stomach. Yeah. And then throw her over, throw her over their shoulders like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very iconic image in my head for some reason. I really remember that, even though I've never played Double Dragon. Double Dragon 3 comes to PS4. Another episode of the Lee Brothers saga, the third episode in the most famous of the series. Travel around the world searching for the Marion and the Rosetta Stone. What? As both went missing. This time, not only Billy and Jimmy are playable, as the strong opponents you defeat can rally your cause and become playable. A content-rich adventure for this third Double Dragon game. Billy and Jimmy were the names of two uh, epic protagonists in video games in the 80s, I guess. Oh, definitely. Billy and Jimmy Lee. (laughs) (laughs) Fishing Sim World Pro Tour Collector's Edition comes to PS4. Compete! In career mode against over 100 pro anglers to become the best in the world. Play your way in custom multiplayer and online tournaments whilst using equipment from over 50 partners on real world venues targeting 29 different species of fish. (laughs) Targeting 29 different species of fish. Freak out calamity TV show comes to PS4. Freaky Calamity, a Freak Out Calamity TV show is a juicy top-down dual stick shooter inspired by old school arcade games and more recent die and retry shooters. In a disturbed dystopia filled with mutants and killing machines, you're the star of a reality show, which might get a bit too real. Fight your way through the deadly enemy waves, join the revolution, and try to take down the evil Fizzy Corp. Sounds a little bit like Smash TV. Yeah. Actually. Hmm. Maybe it was. Renegade. Comes to PS4. The gem of side-scrolling Beat Them All gets its revival. What is this Beat Them All? What is this? It's not. It's not. I don't know why. Beat Them Up? <laughs> yeah, Beat Them Up. That's what they mean. Yeah. So weird. Beat okay. That's <laughs> so weird. Be the one to make all these lawless street gangs bite the dust. To, prever- to preserve peace in the city, Mr. K takes a stand against the street gangs. The amazing action game is back to life, and you wouldn't believe this is 8-bit action. No, you would. I probably you would. would. I probably would. I probably would believe that. River City Ransom, a classic, comes to PS4. Play as Alex and Ryan and cross River City to fight street gangs and save your girlfriend from the hands of a bad guy named Slick. Improve your fighting experience by powering up your characters in River City shops, picking up items for bonuses and using the trash bins and pipes you find in the streets. River City Girls, which came out last year, which is a brand new game, was fucking awesome. A lot of people didn't talk about it. It was kind of like a spiritual successor to River City Ransom. I would highly recommend it. And uh, finally, Spider Solitaire F comes to PS4. In Spider Solitaire F, we have prepared challenges that range from easy to very challenging. There are a total of 100 sets to solve. For those <laughs> learning how to play, there is a hint function. And you can also go uh, one back in moves. Well, that's kind of cheating. Spider yeah, no. Solitaire F is perfect for, a, for calm and relaxing moments. We hope it will be an enjoyable challenge. Oh, okay. Fair enough. It's nice. Well, well, nothing really interesting. I mean, the Double Dragon games are awesome, and uh, so is River City Ransom. Renegade's okay. There's a collection of these games. I don't... People have to go look. I, I guess they're just a la carte releasing some of this stuff, but I'm pretty sure they released like 16 of these games in one collection, like Arc System Works did maybe yeah. a month ago. So you might want to check that out. All right. Let's get into reader mail as we always do, or listener mail. I don't know why I call it reader mail. As we always do, Chris, six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience to round the show out. Tradition dictates it. We'll begin with Austin Smith, who said last week someone wrote in complaining about the free PS Plus games for the month of April. Why are we complaining about free games in the first place, let alone Uncharted 4 and Dirt Rally 2.0, arguably one of the best offerings in the history of PS Plus? 
I'm beginning to think that gamers have either unrealistic expectations or will never be satisfied. Possibly both. Well, Austin, these games are not free. Literally, you are paying a PlayStation Plus subscription for access to the free game. So I think you have every right to complain. Yeah. What do you think? No, I, I agree. You're you're paying money. And uh, if the service isn't giving you what you I mean, let's let's also be real and say like the, the PlayStation promises free games. That's what they say. They say like, hey, hey, here's some titles that you can be guaranteed to enjoy with PlayStation Plus. And it's like, I don't know if, if the selection is kind of poor, then you, I think you have a right to complain about it because that's where your money's going. Your, your money is going not only for the privilege to play online, which wasn't previously a thing on PlayStation, which is arguably the best thing about PlayStation back in back in the day, multiplayer wise. I think, yeah, I, I don't know. It, just, it seems reasonable that you would want better titles for the things that you're paying for. Yeah. I mean, this is a $60 subscription a year or you can pay for it by month or by three months. I think that if these games are being given to you literally for free, then I think you shouldn't complain and look at gift horse in the mouse mouth, as they say. But it reminds me of when the PlayStation Network went down in 2011 and they gave away a bunch of free games. And I thought those were a good selection of games. It was like Infamous 2 and Dead Nation and some others. But some people were complaining about that. And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. I mean, if you have better expectations, you, you were without your network for like six weeks. But with PS Plus, you're paying for it. So you should absolutely hold them to account. But I do think Uncharted 4 and Dirt Rally 2.0 are, are a, a great selection of games. It's been way worse than that. Yeah. Way worse. Jonathan Parrish wrote into us and said, Dear Seamen, please prepare to chastise me. I am prepared. I've been a lifelong PlayStation fan, but the one thing I've always banked on with PlayStation, the exclusives have on the whole let me down this generation. Horizon is really good. Spider-Man was great. But beyond those, I have found the exclusives to be a mixture of boring and redundant, including God of War. Please explain what is wrong with me. Chris, I think you are a little more down on PlayStation exclusives than I am. So what do you say to Jonathan? Will you chastise him? No, I I, I like all the, I like pretty much every PlayStation exclusive. I, I wasn't really all that keen on uh, Detroit just because it's it's not really my style of game. Generally, that's a game that I, I would prefer to like play with other people in the room and kind of comp- uh, cooperatively, like on stream or something. But I don't know. I, I don't think it's all that unreasonable for you to feel like maybe there's a bit too much of there's a bit too much redundancy or there there might be a bit of a pattern. I've mentioned the pattern before where it's like, hey, here's a, a gloomy, realistic, dire, third person, open world-ish action game. That's It's common. It's common now. And it makes sense that you would see that constantly every year and feel a little bit burned out by that because you ideally want some new things. Ideally, you'd want like, I don't know, an RPG or an FPS or something. And I, yeah, I'm not going to chastise you. It makes sense. I do think that it's insane to not. In, I guess, is he saying that he doesn't enjoy those games or that he finds them redundant? Because that's that. Those are different. If you liked God of War but weren't all that keen on it, that's like that's different than being like, oh fuck God of War, you know? Because that's insane. Because yeah. God of War was great. I loved God of War. Yeah, God of War was great. I guess there is a bit of a redundancy. We've talked about this in the past. A lot of these are third-person action games, yeah, or open-world games. But I don't know. I've I thought PS. I think PS4 is a really a, a really nice selection for the most part of exclusives. I think that it was a little weak at first. I think the order was a pretty weak game knack obviously was weak but then there were games like until dawn mm-hmm. infamous second son Killzone shadowfall i thought was really good so some some pretty early games i, I love days gone i think days gone is great i like detroit so I, I don't know i don't know that i really agree i'm not gonna chastise you i think this is up for taste 
there haven't been as many exclusives this generation as there were last generation. But I think that on the whole, these are really high quality AAA mm-hmm. games. And this is exactly what we want. I do think that I do think that Sony needs to extend some kind of olive branch to people who don't want to play long, depressing, realistic, you know, dire action games. I do think that I do think they're getting a bit too reliant on this formula and I would like to see them kind of expand a little bit. But on the on the whole, I don't think I don't think they've put out anything close to terrible or even close to mediocre in a in a in a pretty long while. I think I I mean Colin disagrees with me, but I, I thought Days Gone was probably like the most mediocre thing that that was ever set foot on PlayStation 4 as far as like a high quality <laughs> exclusive. As far as like the it. exclusives that like we were expecting to be great. Like I, no one was expecting Knack to be like, you know, oh my god, it's Crash Bandicoot again. Like no one was expecting like some kind of crazy resurgence from Knack and like I don't know, Killzone is 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 pretty okay. I, I think Days Gone just like the proximity to Last of Us also at the time was just a bit strange. I I, I think they need th- their weakness is in variety, but I mean that can only get better with time. You would assume. Yeah, I mean we're gonna get a Days Gone sequel. I think so. Yeah, hopefully that I don't one know is fleshed yeah. out. Yeah, what I don't even remember. I used to, I had like a really did I have like a really good idea for Days Gone, like how it should have been. I, I I don't even remember like what I said, but it was like this really I thought phenomenal idea about how the game could have worked. Oh, I think it was like why all these guys have motorcycles and yeah. like, they never really explain all that. And I, <laughs> yeah. I had this idea for how they could have explained that better. But I I yeah, Chris and I fundamentally disagree on Days Gone, but we're allowed to disagree. And obviously, Jonathan, uh, we disagree with you a little bit here too. Shout out to Bloodborne as well, which yeah. is probably the most different of all the exclusives in some way. And then there are the smaller ones like Gravity Rush to Yeah. And Medieval and whatever, all this other shit. All right. Ethan Fitzgerald wrote in and said, Hey CNC, I'm going for the Doom Eternal Platinum and have all the single player trophies. Six trophies are blocked behind a multiplayer mode and they range from easy to obnoxious. Not only that, but mere weeks after the launch, I am finding it difficult to get into matches. Why do developers continue to put obnoxious trophies in multiplayer modes? Trophies have been around for more than 10 years now, which is more than enough time to have learned not to do this. All right, enough venting for me. I am really just annoyed by how about how unfun this is. Yeah, that kind of put me off from trying to get the Doom Eternal Platinum when I was looking at the trophies. Did you enjoy the multiplayer in Doom Eternal? I'm sure you played it. I played it. It's it's fine. It's not what I would go to for any kind of multiplayer mode. It's 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 very it's not my style. It's not my style. I think it's well done and I think it's well executed and I think there's a lot of effort that went into that and I think it's very well like balanced from what I've seen. Like it it's 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 really strange how they managed to make two super powerful demons and like one like doom guy somehow balance pretty evenly. Like from what I've seen, like the, the win, the win rate is like pretty 50, 50 between the two uh, player bases, between the people who play as demons and the people who play as the slayer. But I, I just, when I, when I go into a multiplayer mode, I'm thinking I want everybody to be the same, have the same stats. I want everybody to start with the same equipment and I just want to prove that I'm better with skill. I don't I don't want to be like, oh, hey, this person is playing as like a completely different entity that can fly and can do shit that I can't. It's it's not really my style of game for multiplayer. And that, that really does suck that they have uh, multiplayer focused achievements that prevent people from getting the platinum, because I think obviously that was probably a push to get them to, to get people to like maybe try the multiplayer, because I know that most people who play Doom don't really care about multiplayer. Uh, they just want to run around in single player and kill demons for 40 years. I think 
it's it's not a it's not a good look. I I really hate multiplayer achievements unless they're like easy and like hey play a round of this. And even then, I I, I just feel like how how are you gonna maintain this when like the the servers go down or or when not a lot of people are playing and you can't find a match. It just seems like really short sighted and really yeah. really dumb. I I actually feel like I wanted to bring this up because Resident Evil Three remake, which I have not still not played. Did a really nice job with this because they separated Resi- or Resistance, Project Resistance, and then they gave it a whole different trophy list. So you didn't have to do one or the other. If you wanted to just play Project Resistance, you can literally just download that packet, which was also cool, and then play that and earn those trophies. Or Resident Evil 3 Remake doesn't require online play on Resistance to get the Platinum Trophy. So from a trophy perspective, that's pretty cool. But... I actually like the way that Uncharted always dealt with this, which was like, just go and play multiplayer once. Like that was like, try every mode or whatever. I, I like, I think that's fine because it forces you to do that as opposed to The Last of Us, where you had to spend more time in The Last of Us's multiplayer than in the actual game to get the platinum. So yeah. Mikio David wrote into us and said, hi, Candid Colin and Cheerful Chris, longtime listener and new patron. Welcome and thank you. Do you think that the release of the PS5 means we will finally get some of the consumer friendly features we have come to expect on online markets? Notably, one, the ability to create wish lists for games we want to purchase too. user ratings of games on the PSN three, the ability to buy digital items as gifts and send them to friends and four recommendations on games to buy based on our purchases and play history. The PSN has improved greatly from the PS three era, but it is still lagging behind other digital consumer markets. Thanks for all the great content you provide. It's turned out to be invaluable during this stressful time. Thank you, Mickey. Oh, we appreciate you. So two of these things exist already. So you can already rate your games on PSN. Yeah. There are user ratings. And the PSN does recommend you games to buy based on your purchase history. But these other two things, I think, are huge. He talks about the ability to create wish lists for games we want to purchase. I don't think that exists. And the ability to buy digital items as gifts and send them to friends. This is something that I feel like you could even do last generation on Xbox. Right? I, I've never done this. On Xbox, I've done it on PC because like PC, obviously, you can obviously, obviously it on, right? yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Steam is obviously way ahead of the curve on like a lot of this stuff because it can be because it's on a more complicated device that has a lot of utility. But yeah, I, I think um, I, yeah, I immediately thought that was weird. It's like what you can't you can't rate games on PSN. That doesn't seem right. But I I'm not certain that you can buy gift games on Xbox. I, th- I think honestly, like as far as like features, as far as the features go, uh, downloading and like purchasing games, I think Xbox and P- PS PSN are probably like about equivalent. I could be wrong because I've just never done it, but uh, that would be cool to see. Like on every platform, I-, I would love the ability to, you know, buy things for friends. There's de- there have definitely been moments where I've like I've had a game and I'm like, yo, come play with me. And it's like, oh, I don't have it. And it's like, all right, I'll let me buy it for you. And I just could I, you and you can't. You got to go through some bullshit. It was like, oh, give me your fucking, give me your PayPal. It's like, oh, do you have Venmo? It's like, no, I don't have Venmo. Okay, uh, I guess I'll download Venmo. Oh my God, it's a, it's a headache. So it'd be nice to just actually have that built in. Yeah, they have a lot of work to do. And, and I keep pointing to Steam as just the goal, the end goal for, like every game should have a message board. Every game should have a community around it. Every game should have like built in trophy lists or, or uh, trophy guides if you want and links to similar games that you can more easily access. There's a lot of work to be done, but I'm somewhat confident that it'll get better because uh, Mikio's right. Like the PS3 PSN is fucking horrible compared to PS4. And I actually find PS4 quite usable. I just think that it's 
there's more work to be done. So hopefully they'll take another big step forward and we'll see the results of that on PS5. Oh. But I would I would love to see something like what Steam has because Steam is just so so thorough and it yeah. keeps you engaged and involved and tracks all this interesting stuff and I love it. I think it's I mean I don't use it very often but I just I think it's so usable. Yeah, it's 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 a really so okay, so I looked it up. You you can buy you can gift on Xbox. Yeah, I thought you could. Yeah. yeah. So that would be a nice thing to be able to do on PlayStation 5. And I, I suspect that we'll probably get that. But we'll yeah. have to wait and see. Marius Peterson wrote into us and said, hey, guys, an employee at Gearbox posted a pretty different outlook on the whole profit sharing deal the other day. This has largely gone unnoticed as far as I have seen, but it paints a pretty different picture of the situation. An interesting read that makes a lot of sense in my mind. Your thoughts. So Marius actually DM'd me this and I asked him to write into the show and he did. So. Maxime Babin, who's the a game director at Gearbox, posted on LinkedIn about the story we discussed on episode 93 about a Kotaku, clearly politically motivated story about the profit sharing and the lack of bonus checks for Borderlands 3 and the over promising and under delivering of bonus checks and the production costs of Borderlands 3, etc. And I did say at the time that it just seems like we're re- reaching a critical mass with with uh, Gearbox and with, um, what's his name? Why can't I think of his name? Randy Pitchford, where it just seems like where there's smoke, there's fire. But Max might have a thing or two to say about this, Chris. And so I'm just going to read what he wrote so people know. It'll take a minute, but he says, my name is Max Babin, and I have been in the industry for over 10 years working for both small indie studios and big AAA companies. From my experience, there is no royalty system as transparent, mathematical, and objective as the one that the Gearbox founders decided to implement. It is a system designed for people to reap the rewards of the entire studio's success, independent from your position, project, or how in favor you are with leadership. So here's what's wrong with that, what has been recently reported. So he's referring to the Kotaku story by Jason Schreier. Borderlands 3 is my first major project ship with Gearbox. We all knew it was a killer project and we were super excited to see how the fans would respond to it. There were company-wide meetings where various earning projections would be displayed. These projections were displayed as an act of transparency and never made into any promises. Be cool. He also says, we have not got sifted by anyone. There was an expectations gap, but Borderlands 3 is profitable and we are already seeing the results of it. Royalties are flowing already and more are coming. I have huge amounts of respect for Randy that he had to face the disappointment of his friends and colleagues when he announced that the projection the projections were too high. He could have pushed it off to someone else in the studio, but he didn't. It was a display of trust and honesty. It sucks that someone would try to spin this into something it isn't. It is particularly painful to have to discuss this at a time when millions of people outside of the video game industry are struggling financially. And then he goes on to say, a few months ago, Randy decided to give away 30% of his company to the employees because he believes that those who participate should get a piece of the returns. I'm honestly surprised that this isn't what's making the news right now. This is huge. In addition to this formula-based royalty system, we are now part owners of the company. I understand that honesty and transparency can bring misunderstandings and misinterpretation, but these values are core to Gearbox's vision. If writing this and correcting those who try to spin or hide the truth is the price to pay to protect our values, well, I am happy to do it. To conclude, I want to share my deepest appreciation for Gearbox and more specifically to my team in Quebec City. You guys are extremely talented and a joy to work with. I'm proud of everything we already accomplished and excited to see how we can entertain the world together. And then there are actually comments on here. So... A Gearbox concept narrative, a senior concept narrative guy says, with more than 20 years experience in the video game industry, I also concur. I have been with Gearbox Quebec for four years now, and it is the sanest, most transparent, honest, and horizontal display of effective leadership and workplace ethics uh, I have ever encountered. I worked for dedicated but smaller companies before, and they often struggled at becoming larger while still comprehending how to empower their employees. 
At Gearbox, the feeling that we are all working towards a common goal and that our goal or that our work will benefit everyone in return is obvious. Upper management transparency with the company is above and beyond what can be expected. And Randy never ceases to demonstrate his passion, creativity and involvement in our common goal to entertain the world. We often are shared players comments on how our games impact the lives of those who play them. I feel Gearbox is a very positive, forward-looking, and empowering company, and I am very proud to be part of its success. A senior-level designer, Mario Toro, said this, I'm also an employee of Gearbox, and I second everything Maxima said here. Don't let a few disgruntled employees control the narrative. Uh, lead concept artist D- Dave Fortin says, couldn't have put it in better words, my friend. Sean Harron, who works there, says, thanks for sharing and for being part of our great culture. Yannick Belouwa, who's a cinematic designer, says, thank you for saying out loud what most employees at Gearbox think. At least from conversations I've had with members of the Quebec team, we have some of the best conditions in the industry, and I hope it stays like that. Maxime Landry, who's a senior designer, says, from my perspective, this is both honest and true, and I'm really glad you took the time to write this. So, oh, Francis Couture, who is another concept uh, concept artist, says, I am very glad to see someone speaking out publicly about how I feel. Gearbox is the fourth game studio I've worked for, and the work conditions are great. So just wanted to read all that. I guess that's the other side of the story. Yeah. And it isn't being reported anywhere. <laughs> I didn't see that. I, I thoroughly look at news to write the show. I didn't see that anywhere. So it's pretty wild. Yep. What do you think? Do you have anything to share do you have about how you does this change your opinion at all? Uh, I mean, yeah, because it's more information and that is that should <laughs> change the story a little bit, especially yeah. when uh, I don't know. I don't really I, I still feel weird about Gearbox in general, like as a company, like I'm sure they're I guess their work practices are pretty good. I still feel like. Uh, their actions as a company are pretty uh, <laughs> pretty questionable. Specifically, just the way they handle a lot of... Uh, the way they've handled a lot of titles in the past. But uh, I, this seems to be... It feels like we're not going to get the real story unless both of these sides are acknowledged in the same place. Because right now, a lot of these... And it's kind of the problem with online news in general is that a lot of these perspectives are just isolated to specific platforms... So anybody who's dedicated to a specific platform or only reads one platform really doesn't even get a majority of the truth. And it's a shame that we don't have some news outlet out there that's writing every part of the story. And that doesn't mean you have to be like neutral on it. You can still take stances and, and you know, poke holes in, in, in stories where need be. But at least presenting the sides is valuable. I agree. That's what I wanted to do here, just so everyone has the full story. Mm-hmm. And finally, Oliver Johnson wrote in and said, what's up, CM boys? Back in 2014, Wolfenstein, the New Order, did a collector's edition that didn't actually come with the game. It was made fun of at the time, but it was actually really forward thinking because of how significant digital game sales have become this generation. Why do you think this never caught on? I would actually consider buying collector's editions for games again if I could still keep my or still have my games digitally. When was the last time you guys sprung for the collector's edition? Keep making all days we hear those sweet voices. Great. Thank you, Oliver. I remember this and uh, I thought it was fucking insane at the time, but I think that six <laughs> years later, it's it is a little bit prescient in some way. Yeah. But the thing is, is that there was no game at all. It didn't come with a code. There was a collector's edition for the new order that just didn't come with the game. And that is weird. So I think what Oliver's describing here, Chris, is something that is not what actually happened. And I imagine there must be collector's editions that do come with digital versions of the game, but I don't actually buy yeah, collector's yeah, editions sure I, I never do so yeah i'm sure there are I, I remember when this first happened and i thought it was actually a pretty good idea because uh specifically i was actually one of the few people who wasn't freaked out about it because i just thought like yeah 
I get all my games digitally, so, like, digital collector's editions aren't really worth it because you just get a bunch of digital garbage and, like, here's some digital art book. It's like, I don't want this shit. I, I like, if I'm going to get a, a collector's edition of anything, I want it to have, like, some cool shit that I can physically display or, like, something to put on a shelf or just, like, a, a, a neat box. So I remember when that came out, I was like, this is kind of not not bad as as long as the price of the game is deducted from what the price would be. This makes perfect sense to me. Like that you would have like, hey, maybe you just want to download your game on on PC on Steam and you don't want to have to worry about a disc, but you also kind of want the experience of having a collector's edition without having to buy a collector's edition with a version of the game that you're not going to play or or, or without worrying about, you know, maybe you got to collect maybe you're really excited about Destiny coming out in 2014 and it's 2013 and you want to get the collector's edition now because you just want to but you don't know what platform you're going to play because the next generation isn't around yet um, I, I always kind of thought that that was like a really cool flexible thing I understand why it seems insane because like if you it really is all in the presentation and, and the wording of how you how you unveil something and when you say hey we're going to put out a collector's edition without the, without the game in that way yeah it sounds like ludicrous <laughs> like what are you paying for and the answer is, yeah, the collector's edition. That's what, you're, that's what you're paying for. Yeah, there's a little bit of a conundrum in my mind about what the actual... Like, Oliver's one of these people, obviously, but how many people are like Oliver? Because if you don't want the clutter or want a game disc, are you going to be likely to want the collector's edition's goodies? I guess it really doesn't matter. I guess they are two different things. But you get the steelbook usually and stuff, which would be useless. I don't know. I don't know how this would work. I always like I remember when digital games were first starting to become a thing and I was like, man, I wish I could just have the code, but also have the box because I just mm. liked at the time I liked the boxes on my show. I've kind of grown grown out of that now because I just it's been so long, but I like I like having a shelf full of full of games. I think it looks cool. I think it, it's, it's it's neat to just look at a shelf and like be reminded of all the disparate memories that you have of each individual like thing on that shelf. It's it's kind of like a neat experience and it would be nice to have that digitally because I feel like I don't have that digitally. I have so many games that I just don't ever see. So they're never I'm never thinking about them. I'm never really connecting memories to them because they're just kind of files on a on a hard drive. And uh it would be cool to have something like that, but I I feel like this kind of distribution of a collector's edition doesn't really hurt anybody as long as you're not paying the price of the collection of the collector's edition and the game. So you're you're kind of putting out a collector's edition that caters to a niche amount of people, but collector's editions already do that anyway. And the people who are going to get the game regardless aren't hurt by the non-inclusion of a collect of the game with a collector's edition. It, it feels like it doesn't hurt anybody. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I suspect you'll probably see this uh, more and more. I'm sure, again, it already exists. I don't pay too close attention to the collectors and physical editions of games anymore, but we'll see. I, I think it sounds like a nice idea. There are certainly some I actually got rid of. I traded a lot of my game toys and like statues and stuff that I got in collectors editions over the, over the years for a bunch of G.I. Joe's last year. Mm -hmm. So I got rid of all that stuff. I didn't really I had like, you know, Joel and Ellie and a bunch of stuff from Infamous and Uncharted and. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't really want any of this. I actually got the Destroy All Humans one. The new one. Oh, nice. It, yeah, I, I was like, oh, man, it comes with a statue of this fucking alien. Sick. 
I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I just like it's, I never thought that this game would happen again. So I was like, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll spring for a collector's edition. But I had no idea what what platform I was getting it on. And I think that collector's edition specifically also didn't come with the games for the same reason. Where it's like, yeah, hey, here's yeah. hey, here's the yeah. statue. You're going to get cuz like where are you going to get the statue otherwise? You know, you can't just like you, you have to go around looking for fucking dragons dens. And it's like nobody wants to do that. You just, just give me the thing from the people who are selling it and that way I could just make my platform decision later when I have more information about what the hell's going to happen in this hellish economy. I do wonder about that platform conundrum too. I, I know that strikes some people, but I wonder how common that is as well. But yeah. there are, there are, I don't want to make it seem like there are certain games. Like if there was a mega man, like I have so much mega man stuff that I've bought over the years and just got from Capcom over the years. And that when I, when they used to like me, send me a bunch of shit, and I'll buy like anything Mega Man, just like I'll buy anything G.I. Joe. But I just have my limit, basically. And yeah, of so course. I was glad to trade some of that shit away. But I did save some of it. Like I have my I still have like a sealed in box Nino Cooney special edition because I love that game. And I have Catherine special edition sealed in box and a few other things. So there are things that I kept, mm-hmm. uh, but I did get rid of. I even got rid of my Wolfenstein stuff, which is a little surprising, but huh. don't need that that propaganda. All right. That's all we have for this episode, this lengthy episode, I think. Yeah, it's a um, long episode one. Episode 94. Uh, remember, again, just a friendly reminder, support us on Patreon if you can. We appreciate that. Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand for early ad-free access, the ability to submit your inquiries and access to Sacred Symbols Plus. However, last week's episode of Sacred Symbols Plus, I will make free for a little while all about dual sense. So you guys can go check that out. Even if you're not a supporter, I hope everyone out there is staying well, safe, all of this. Things are going to get better. I promise. But let's uh, stick together and do the best we can. Please look forward to episode 95 yeah. of Sacred Symbols and uh, Sacred Symbols Plus all about Twin Breaker. And we're going to start rolling out a bunch of, well, not a bunch, but a handful of spoiler casts. I think we'll do Twin Breaker and then I think we'll do Doom, then we'll do Resident Evil and then we'll do Final Fantasy 7. I think those are going to be the next four episodes unless something pops up. So Sounds good. So looking forward to that. All right. So, Chris, thank you for your time. Appreciate you. Of course. Appreciate everyone out there. Be safe. Be well. Talk to you soon. Bye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Adam Nix, Ahmad Tamar, Alex Cabrera, Alex Gates, Alex Moans, Alan Tremblay, Andrew Parker, Anton Kay, Antti Kinnanen, Azan, Barrett Boswell, Bo Clant, Ben, Betty Ann Moriarty, Bjorn Campbell, Blake Israel, Bloody Fang, Boots, Brad Cooley, Brian Chan, Carlos Algaric, Casual Misfits Gaming, Chad Lewis, Chris Adams, Chris Buston, Chris Galvin, Chris Moore, Colin Davenport, Colin Love, Connor Gashian, Corey Wyatt, Damon Weathers, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Margaka, Darren Gardner, Daryl E. Naiman, David Chestnut, David 
David Ellis, David John Finnegan Wright, Don Lee, Donnie Nolan, Dylan Burns, Enrique Perez, Eric Finkenbeiner, Eric Harden, Galja, Gamer Filmaholic, George Anthony Nunez, Gerald Pennington, Gio Corsi, Greg, Greg Julifs, Homeworld Hub, Hugo's Desk, Infinite, Isaac Wastman, Jason Pettit, Jackson Lastiqua, Jay Getter, Jeff Pollard, Jeremy Key, Jeremy Shook, Jerome Ferreira, Jesse Owen, Joe McPartland, Joey Finelli, John, John Schultz, John Cadero, Jonathan Reich, Jonathan H., Jorge Palomino, Josh Bushing, Josh Gravelick, Josh Yeager, Josh M., Josh McKinney, Joshua Jonathan, Joshua Smallwood, Justin Wagman, Carl Tolman, Keith A. Lewis, Kevin R. Lord, Kiet Mai, Knight Draft, Kyle Hagel, Lawrence F. Prokop, Lou and Ray Loper, Mad Mock Media, Miranda Grubba, Mark Boggio, Marius Garson Peterson, Martin Beck, Mason Cadillac, Matt Martin, Matthew Purdue, McDog18, Megadet, Michael Gates, Michael Vecchio, Miguel A. Brewer, Mike Wayant, Morgan Ashley, Mubarak, Nathan R. of Fortuna, Organic Produce, Patrick Harper, Patrick Kelly, Patrick Leslie, Paul Joyce, Peter Reynolds, Petro Rose, Phil Crone, Raul Melendez, Ray Lasia, Richard Hebert III, Richter86, Robbie Hensley, Rodney Coleman, Ross Maranka, Ryan Murdoch, Ryan R. Kittredge, Ryan Reeves, Ryan T. Mandel, Saul Balcazar, Scott Lovelace, Sean Chandler, Sean Mason, Shane Rayum, Simon Conception Jr., SL the FMA, Spencer Brand, Stephen Nieder, Taylor Barkley, TB Lightning, Throw7, Toby Shootman, Todd Paxton, Tony Zaniga, Toothless Gibbon, Travis Plymel, Tyler Bellow, Tyler Harris, Vexius, William O'Carroll, and Zach Parsley. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.